a bromance suspended in time with the Hutchinson brothers. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome to the Brewer North podcast. That's what we're doing, right? Um, I mean, we could talk about what we're drinking, I suppose. Sorry, Broman Suspended in Time podcast. <laughs> Shameless plug for your, uh, for, for your my, canceled podcast. Yeah, for my dead podcast. Yeah, shameless. <laughs> absolutely shameless. I'm disgusted by myself. This is the show. It's Caleb and Josh. And this is a big episode. As you might know. Potentially the biggest. This is the biggest yet. For me, I felt the pressure. I've been studying up. I got notes. Listen to this. Wow. Hear those notes? <laughs> I am, Those are physical notes, not yeah. even a Google Doc. Yeah, because when we did Lord of the Rings, I had them up on the Google Doc on the second screen, and I kept losing my place. Oh, okay. So my new plan is maybe I'll be able to track it better with the physical sure. notes. Okay. So, Josh, how hey, are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? That's good. What have you, what have you been up to? You've been... Uh, well, studying up, obviously. Um, but other than that, you've been watching some VHS tapes. Been watching some VHS tapes. I got myself a little. Uh, I don't think I said this on the show yet. I got a, a VHS or a tube TV with the built-in VHS because I've been slowly amassing a genre film collection of VHS a little bit here and there. Um, it was impeded by the lockdown, but we're back at it. Got a big haul the other day. Watching some Oh yeah, VHS. what'd you get? Well, I got The Sixth Sense, Shyamalan, Ooh. which is good because I think we should do an ep on Shyamalan. Absolutely. Not that it's nostalgic or anything, but I only was I watched all his films for the first time this year and I'm like a stan, which is Yeah, that's crazy. You know, that's further crazy to me. further cementing my uh uh perceived reputation as a contrarian. Which I'm not intentionally trying to be. But yeah, so that's weird. I had a bunch of blind spots there. Sixth Sense I had never seen. Science I had never seen. But yeah, I got those. Got the others. I had Blair Witch Project already, which is awesome. Alien. I got E.T. and Die Hard. I got Halloween 7. H2O. Baby. Which I love. No one else likes, apparently. But I fucking love it. And, okay. um, yeah, I'm just living the dream. I'm applying for jobs. I've got an interview later today. Oh, do you? Yeah. Well, it's like kind of like a pre-interview. We'll see what happens with that. But okay. Yeah. We're, 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 we're doing it up. We're awesome. doing it nice. What about you? Oh, oh. And I uh, booked my, uh, second dose for oh, I'd be. a week <laughs> from now. Your second Moderns. My, my Moderns is evolving and, um, by the time this drops, I will be probably fully at that peak threshold two weeks after the vax. So hell yeah, baby. feeling good about that too. It's a, it's a vaxed summer. This is our first podcast since uh, since we officially launched. Yes, since we started posting things online. Um, so that feels a little bit this weird. Feels a little different. Um, but thank you to everyone who has listened. Um, what's the response I, been? 
I mean, I haven't gotten a ton of response. Uh, I, we, we've had a fair amount of listens um, in four different countries. Um, and I don't know. Like, I, I, I haven't had a ton of feedback. So uh, if you'd like, give us feedback. Uh, we could probably use it. Um, and I mean, thank you for listening. Sorry for spamming you on social media. Because uh, I've been doing that lately. I apologize. Uh, I'll try and dial it back a little bit. Um, but uh, yes, thank you all for listening. And I hope you continue to do so. Hell yeah. This is mostly for just me and you anyways. Fuck it. it really is. Like, um, In my opinion, if our family and close friends uh, are interested in listening, that's kind of a win. Exactly right so yeah so you know there it is we're just living our life and we're having a good time it's been fun so far and this episode should be the funnest yet for only me because i have (laughs) a lot to say and not all of it will be interesting probably we're jumping into it we're talking star wars the prequels my baby and this is actually i think well, maybe not for you, but for me, this is the one in terms of framing it as a, as a nostalgia podcast. This is the this is the trilogy, even more than the original one, that I I feel that sense of nostalgia for, um, because we were like we've talked about the perfect age for when it came out, and yeah, there's something about you know there's just something different about being there and witnessing it in theaters for the first time with a group of people, especially as like a ten year old boy. Um, all that sort of thing. It was very, very special. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. It's probably the most nostalgic of the tri- of the Star Wars trilogies, that is. Yeah, whether you think yeah. that, that that translate to quality or not, it is, I think, you know, there's a, there's a magic dust sprinkled around these ones, I think, um, in some, some, some fun ways, for sure. Um, but yeah, I think we should probably just open with... We just rewatched them. I rewatched them twice in the past week. Mm-hmm. I think you just rewatched them once, which is fair enough. Yep. Um, what'd you think? How how does it feel to revisit it? Uh, it felt good actually. Um, I tried to um, I, I tried to think about um biases and uh, influences going in, um just opinions that have been viral on the internet or Mm, mm -hmm. in groups of friends and things that I think that I've fallen victim to just regurgitating and, um, like harvesting feelings from other people. Um, and even like from other podcasts, Mm. um, specifically revenge of the Sith. Um, Mm. I, I can remember listening to, um, blank check yeah, and yeah. they hate Revenge of the Sith they think it's the worst and uh, I think that that I think that I I without thinking kind of my opinion kind of altered the way that I truly felt about these movies mm-hmm. uh, so uh, I tried to ignore a few different things I tried to ignore CGI mm-hmm. I tried to not think about um uh acting performances 
Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to ignore Jar Jar Binks, mm-hmm. and and it was actually fairly successful. All right. Um, I I I feel that I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed this trilogy more than I have in a very long time. This time. Nice. Hmm. I'm I'm rubbing off on you. Yeah, well, this is the thing too is is I I appreciate the way that you feel and I I because of my love for Star Wars as a franchise, I do desperately want to love these movies. Yeah, yeah, And sure. I think that I'm I'm starting to trend in that direction. Nostalgia definitely helps. Yeah. Um but I I try to appreciate the things that I like more and kind of be okay with the things that uh that were like deal breakers for me. Yeah. Um and try try to not get too nitpicky about about little things here and there because I feel like people do that. I watched a couple of YouTube videos. Oh cringe. Just yeah, just to try to uh like after I watched the movies, uh <laughs> there was one this morning like top ten plot holes in the prequels God. that aren't explained. And I, I watched it and I'm like, these are all terrible. Like these don't want to die. Like, it's all just nitpicky bullshit. Mm-hmm. So I uh, like stuff like why does Obi-Wan age so quickly? And I don't know, just like dumb shit like that. <laughs> I'm like, I don't I don't really understand why. Anyways, um, I, I've already said it. Uh, I, I did enjoy this trilogy, including Attack of the Clones. Whoa. More Whoa. than uh, I had in the past. And um I think that my final, like even before discussing this here, my final ranking is going to change. And my ranking mm. within just the prequels has already changed. Okay, I'm curious. Do you want to start off by telling us that what 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 it was and then what it has changed to before we okay. jump into the films? Sure, let's do it. Um, so I I believe before it was I had them ranked one, three, two. Mm-hmm. I had the Phantom Menace, then Revenge of the Sith, and then Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones is still at the bottom, mm-hmm. but I actually flip flopped Revenge of the Sith and Phantom Menace. Nice. Um, I think, and this is my opinion here. I think Revenge of the Sith is, and there's not a very high bar, but of all the trilogies, it is the best. Um, it is the best finish yeah. to a trilogy 100 percent agree and i think i don't even think it's really that close no yeah i 100 percent agree return of the jedi and rise of the of skywalker i think i said were my two least favorite maybe force awakens was down there as well but i 100 yeah. percent agree with you with that point for sure mm-hmm. um yeah I, I can totally resonate with all of the things that you're saying there where um sort of i i discussed it before how my relationship with a lot of films goes through a process of to speak like in Christianese or whatever through the process of deconstruction and reconstruction mm-hmm. um, where, you know, you, you give into discursive trends, the sort of thing that everyone sorts of thinks because there's this sort of uh, ontological like, unsaid agreement on what makes a good film and the things that we value in cinema are basically um you know almost completely based on quote-unquote plot logic Mm -hmm. and i can't think of a 
more uninteresting way to engage with a film than focusing on plot logic like (laughs) like looking at it like it's a puzzle and like looking for the flaws and trying to guess what's going to happen and all these these sorts of things that you know you could god for fuck's sake youtube channels and even a lot of working film critics focus their criticisms on like specifically the those blank early blank check episodes about the prequels david sims is where i'm not gonna i don't want to get too crazy about this but david sims is a working film critic Griffin is not, so he can do whatever he wants, I think. David Sims is a staff on The Atlantic, and he is... The way he engages with these movies is astoundingly, astoundingly simple in ways that uh, are a little frustrating and I think speaks to how film critics and a lot of film critics engage with cinema. I don't think (laughs) a lot of them should... uh, have the jobs that they have <laughs> and uh you know i i think the people that have the most boring takes get staff positions and all that sort of stuff that's a whole different tangent but the point is i definitely fell into that sort of thing as well where i walked out of revenge of the sith saying it was my favorite movie of all time as a 10 year old child loving it rewatching it and then getting into this period of sort of adolescence teenager looking at uh film people on YouTube and everyone hates the prequels and then learning the sort of uh agreed upon value that we have in cinema for like contemporary American discourse or whatever about blockbuster cinema at least and um yeah changing my opinion based on that just to like because you think that these people are older than you these people are seemingly smarter than you and you're just like, okay, well, this is this is what it is. I totally can see that now and it changes the way you view it. So I definitely fell into that as well. And then there was that moment of really wanting to love them <laughs> again and find value in them in, again and, and giving them the attention and and the effort to engage with them that they deserve because of the nostalgia you know like if i didn't have the nostalgia for these movies and i only saw them in that period of time when i was you know 14 or 15 or something and i thought they were bad movies then i would have dropped them and probably maybe never watched them again and never really emotionally engaged with them so yeah i totally agree and totally have gone on that same trajectory as you i've been on the love train and the american masterpiece train for quite a few years now and this this project has been fun because i've actually like started writing something about them for the first time it's all sort of been in my head for a while um but yeah my my rating still remains um attack of the clones at the bottom by like a decent margin i think revenge of the sith and phantom menace are revenge of the sith is one of the great films of the 21st century and the Phantom Menace is one of the great films of all time, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, that is not a joke. That is not something that I'm just saying to be contrarian. I really do believe this, and we'll get into it. Yeah, I'm um, excited to get into it. <laughs> why don't we just do it then? Um, all right. We, let's let's start with Phantom Menace. Um, okay. Tell me about it. What do you think? Um. I I mean, uh, overall, I like it. 
Um, it's, um, it's better than I remember. And I think, um, being okay and accepting the fact that Jar Jar is such a big part of that movie was a big step for me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think, um, my appreciate my new, my appreciation this time for this trilogy um, is more uh, more as a whole than it is about the each individual movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. And, and just um, I I think the way that I feel about it is probably going to be different from you in that it is more of like a um more of like a, a less about thematic elements and more about like the grand plot of the entire Skywalker saga. Mm, okay. Um, and I just think uh, I had a new appreciation for George Lucas's vision mm-hmm. for the prequels. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like, especially um, just how diabolical and intricate the emperor's, manipulative plot yes like that is it's kind of mind-blowing and i laid it out for the first time i laid it out as well i have palpatine's plan as a list okay oh yeah well do you want to do you want to dive into that? that's a good place to start because this really is the whole point of this trilogy is you know there are i think i i I have really gotten down the rabbit hole in terms of quote-unquote thematic elements and all the sort of thing things but the, the 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 power of these movies is right there on the text you don't have to dig deep into the images to find something very meaningful in how george lucas sketches the downfall of democracy as something that historiographically can be traced to the taxation of trade routes that's the beginning and then yeah. it's just little incremental uh ways of funding and manipulating and rallying power and support that slowly destroy this whole republic so i think you know you don't have to dig in to find meaning here um you can but man it's all right here so let's go into palpatine's plan starts with the taxation of trade routes he's uh the secret beneficiary for the trade federation and they set up a blockade in front of Naboo. Then they secretly invade Naboo with a droid army that they have manufactured. And they plan on getting Naboo to sign a treaty so they have like full control over the, the tariffs or whatever that were once free. Um, so then he uses... The reason why he does all this is to use the disruption... That is that is happening here to call for a vote of no confidence in Chancellor mm-hmm. Valorum, and he specifically picks Naboo because he knows he's from Naboo and he knows he can get Padme if she's getting hit by the fact that her people are dying yep. to emotionally appeal to her to get this vote of no confidence for Chancellor Valorum, and he's doing other things in the background to ensure that he will get nominated for the yep. election for the Chancellor as well, and. There's a ton of backstory that the films don't really go into, but there's it's I was fat. I was fascinated by Wikipedia a couple of days ago going into it. So that's what he does there because um, of this situation where, you know, he is also from 
from Naboo, he gets a sympathy vote, like a strong sympathy vote about him being the person that should be nominated. And he gets elected. And then that's the end of the first film. He's elected. Mm -hmm. We have a Sith Lord in the highest place of power in this Republic. Oh, shit. Crazy. Second movie. He basically gets Dooku to create an assassination attempt on on Padme's life to send her into hiding. Because he knows that Jar Jar will be the representative for Naboo and he can manipulate Jar Jar much easier. Way easier. Mm-hmm. So then he's, he's... That is that is a crazy thing that I never thought about until this time that I watched it. Yeah. It's like that, that like the... I just thought, oh, fuck, Star- Jar Jar's in here again. They're just finding a way to get him in this movie. But it's so... It is actually so intelligent the way that they did it. Yeah, and that, um, that thing, I think, is the only... I'll, I'll I'll discuss it a little bit later, but the only sort of yeah slightly troubling issue. I mean, there's obviously we can get into like the idea of the racist caricatures and all that sort of stuff, which definitely is uh, troubling. <laughs> but the way that they they don't really or George doesn't really engage with the idea of the Naboo colonizing the Gungans and this basically use of like a primitive life form or whatever uh right and all that sort of stuff that it sort of like falls into this sort of like primitive indigenous life thing that he also did with like the ewoks and return of the jedi and stuff um that's i think that's a fair that's a fair point um but jar jar i think being the dummy of those people like he he was banished from his people because he was stupid and clumsy and kept fucking things up all the time so it's like in that way it's like it's like i don't know i don't know that that argument has the same strength because of that position but it like it is it is weird that he is a political figure well i think it just falls into uh cinematic um tropes whether there is like a reason for like a jar jar is dumber than the rest of the gungans for sure but it still falls into this same sort of narrative trope of of uh manipulating people that are presumed to be um less intelligent and the fact that he is an indigenous character whether it is you know whether they're describing his intelligence based on that or not it's right. still troubling and it still does fall yeah, into it. That's fair. And it's not like I'm it's not like a damnation of the movie or anything maybe it is. I don't know. It's it's just something worth bringing up, I think, and we'll get more into that later. But the point is yeah. <laughs> he fucking uses Jar Jar and there's these little conversations that he has with Jar Jar in the room and he's like yeah. Jar Jar's like oh in the corner being like oh shit, yeah. That's really cool. There's so many little seeds of like the conversations that Palpatine has with people, with different people, the Trade Federation, then it switches to the the Naboo and the Republic and over to the Separatists and all this sort of stuff. It's so fucking awesome. But anyway, um, yes, Jar Jar is the replacement. He basically manipulates Jar Jar into granting Palpatine emergency war powers um, mm-hmm. so that they the Republic can use this army that he is 
he has gotten Dooku to basically control. So he's funding the Separatist army. He's also creating an army for the Republic. So everything he's doing is... Oh, and the Trade Federation also have have uh, the battle droids, and there's multiple battle droid armies and all this sort of things. So he's, yeah, he's just funding an entire war and then pulling the strings to create the war, essentially. Yes, playing literally every yeah, person. every single person. Every person other than himself. Mm-hmm. So he does that. Um, he also steals the plans for the Death Star from the Geonosians under the guise that he's keeping them safe, which is funny. Just as a little side thing. <laughs> um, to, yeah, basically enact as the next thing of his plan in the in the next trilogy. Um, but then, yeah, so that's kind of how Attack of the Clones ends, is him with emergency powers. A war has started that he has created, um, and he's fully armed and created the anxieties in all the people that is going to lead to this civil war that will cause further further disturbance and will allow him to co- consolidate more power. So he does that. Revenge of the Sith, he starts by getting Grievous, General Grievous, to ca- kidnap him, and Count Dooku to kidnap him, and then so that Anakin will get brought back from the Outer Rim where he's fighting in the Clone Wars. So that Anakin mm-hmm. and Obi-Wan will come and save him, and then Anakin will be more close by, and he can manipulate him, because Anakin is the chosen one, and he's very powerful and all these sort of things. He wants him as his right-hand man before he basically takes over the galaxy. So he does that, and in this one, he's mostly focusing on his manipulation is solely on Anakin. Anakin. And using yep. his anxiety and using his fear of, of what he thinks the future is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, to bring him over to his side, he executes Order 66, and they basically destroy all the Jedi all at the same time, using Anakin and the clone army on his side together. They can destroy everyone. And then this is the part, this is the end of the plan, essentially, and the most troubling and the most prescient and relevant, I think, to now times, is that he spins the massacre of the Jedi as an attempt to take over the Senate, which is technically true. That's the point of and why it's such an effective lie is that they were going to basically move on the Senate, but to ensure a peaceful transition of power of mm-hmm. of Palpatine getting his emergency powers taken away. So that is technically true. That's the thing. This is like the Trumpian thing that happens here is that he uses that spins it and then uses this fear uh, of destruction to rally huge amounts of support everyone's Mm -hmm. applauding and then he transitions the republic into an empire and he is exceedingly powerful now and he can you know take over the galaxy and he has all powers and um absolute power and that's the interesting thing i think about this is that it doesn't like it's still technically a democracy it just shifts from a republic to an empire where he has more power but there's still like a senate um I, and I think that that is a, an extremely interesting element of how this sort of political landscape is sketched here, where it's clearly, um, yeah, clearly referencing like Plato's Republic specifically and how like how the Jedi are like kind of like the auxiliaries of this, the, like the utopic society that he sketches in that movie. 
um, and how clearly he's referencing how Rome moved from a republic to an empire uh, as well. But the the way the actual government is structured is essentially the United States in space. So he's using these little references of the past, but the way it's structured with like an executive and a legislative and a judicial branch and how these things function and the fact that all people have power to vote their representatives in and all this sort of thing. That's a that's a contemporary sketch of democracy. That is the United States in space with little seedlings of of, you know, earlier philosophical and early civilization versions of what a republic is. And I think that's really interesting that he's connecting these things uh, together, like making it feel extremely contemporary and also archaic. And the way that works is it's sort of like uh, signaling this idea of cyclical, um, the cyclical trajectory of humanity or whatever. So something like the course of empire is like a painting series five painting series all about the cycle of how this how the how this functions and all these sort of things all seem like really obvious references to me and uh i think it's really interesting that it's so contemporary and then also referencing all these other things but yeah i mean that's it that's this is this huge it's so funny that in comparison to the original trilogy which is so basic it doesn't require much thinking or not even thinking, but like you don't really have to pay that close attention to like track the plot. Mm-hmm. But these ones, it's like you really got to pay attention. To like- yeah, you definitely do. And even this time, like I don't, there's a lot of things that I didn't catch even until this watch through. And yeah. I've seen these movies many, many times. Um, and yeah it's interesting i i I don't know i think i focus i did focus a lot more on the emperor and just how intricate and how like how incredible that character is Mm -hmm. um and this backstory of him leading into the next trilogy yeah just how like he is um I mean, his motives are weird. Like, it, it, it's it's like it's kind of a classic, um, good versus evil villain where mm-hmm. he just wants absolute power and control. Like, his motives are, like, uh, are kind of not super clear. Like his end goal, mm-hmm. um, but he plays everyone. He does not. He doesn't have a weakness. He doesn't have like, uh, like a sidekick or someone that he trusts. He's just he kills his master after he. T- well, I mean, this isn't actually said, but it's implied that Dark Plagueis is his master, mm-hmm. or was his master. Um, and after he teaches him how to create life and keep people from dying, quote unquote, we don't know whether or not he actually knows how to do that. Yeah. Um, or whether he's just fucking with Anakin, mm-hmm. which he was basically doing the whole time. Um, but he, uh, he kills his master and then just like carries out this intricate plan to take over the galaxy and yep. be in supreme control and plays literally everyone and no one suspects it. Yeah. And Plagueis 
was someone that helped him enact this plan as well. Like, this is technically the grand plan of the Sith since, like, the inception of them as an order. But Plagueis was the one who brought Palpatine basically into the fold to enact a plan of, like, secretly infiltrating the Republic rather than just, like, straight up attacking them all the time. Okay. And then Palpatine kills him and moves forward with this plan. And, yeah, I mean, I think... Yeah, in a sense, it is like, you know, there is good and evil or whatever in in these movies. But I think part of one of the main themes of these these films is the collapsing of simplified morality and simplified Mm -hmm. notions of good and evil. Like it says in the crawl of Revenge of the Sith that there are heroes on both sides just out of nowhere randomly just says that. Yeah. And it's never addressed again. No. But the point (laughs) is like that like palpatine is right in the sense that the republic does not function it gets lost in in bureaucracy and is allowing people to die in this crisis and it is not prepared for this sort of crisis because it's been in peace for so long it doesn't know uh it 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 just doesn't function in a in a way that actually leads to change and the jedi order he is also right that they are stuck in dogma their their perception of what the force is is almost completely incorrect um and you know like his response to that is to basically create this like space fascism or whatever which is not good but the point is like he does have good points is 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 what's happening in the end the jedi order and the public certainly don't have anything to to respond like the, the way that like the entire sketch of them of like this Jedi Order, which is supposed to be like these ultimate good guys or whatever, is that like Mace Windu's a fucking asshole, Yoda's a dick. They say yeah. things that sound really smart but aren't actually really smart. Qui Gon kidnaps a child and and like does a blood test on him uh, without telling him. Uses this pseudoscience to basically say he's the chosen one. We're gonna take him from his mom and and basically condition him to repress all of his feelings and turn him into this person that's going to bring balance to the force and they don't even know what that means so uh, yeah i think a main element is palpatine is like a especially in the third one he's like a goofy over the top villain guy (laughs) but also it's not clear cut but i feel like his poisoning of anakin's mind in the third one is part of the reason that um i think higher of that movie um, yeah 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 like like all the seeds that he was planting and all of these like the ways that he was spinning things that he that clearly were on anakin's mind like um uh talking about how the jedi don't trust him and they like mm-hmm. they're not actually gonna like uh like he tries to get him to be a representative on the council for him but he knows that they're not gonna like that and he uses that um to create distrust in Anakin towards the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, using obviously using his vision of Padme dying, um, knowing about his vision of his mother dying and how that came true. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, spinning, <laughs> spinning the whole Jedi, sending him on a spying mission to be about the Jedi being against the Senate and about, and against democracy, as opposed to them being skeptical about his movement for more emergency powers. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's just a master manipulation. And I don't think I ever really appreciated it until I watched it this time. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, I don't. I I don't think. Well, I mean, we're getting off track of like doing movie by movie. Um, but, yeah. I mean, they do function as one big story in a way that the other ones don't. I think. Yeah. So, I think that would make sense. And I and yeah, I I totally agree, especially in that film, like in Revenge of the Sith, like especially in terms of we've talked about this before part of my appreciation for this movie and the reason for these movies and why I'm like sort of forgiving of the things that a lot of people hate with attack of the clones is that it's about, it is about a boy being brought into like a dogmatic institution that doesn't understand its own religion. And then he is basically becoming an adolescent saying ridiculous things, being extremely angry and and anxious and angsty and basically acting out because of this institution that's telling him to repress everything and then the thing the thing that sort of buttons up that entire sort of you know reflectionist reflectionism of like a young boy being raised in the church or being raised in a religious institution let's say let's call it that um is palpatine saying to him that like if one is to understand the great mystery one must analyze all its aspects not just the dogmatic narrow view of the Jedi. I mean, like how, like it's a perfect sort of explication of that whole, whole feeling of, you know, what so many people that have been raised in the church feel when they start deconstructing and reconstructing this, you know, the, the, what happened when they were raised in the church in the sort of ways that they were, conditioned to believe certain things and repressed and you know manipulated i i definitely yeah sorry i i definitely had a new um once i uh, that was another thing that i tried to ignore going into here is hayden christensen's acting performance and the way that i feel about it yeah um and i actually feel like watching it this time through it's not that bad it's not as bad as people make it out to be um it is like a little over like Anyways, I don't I don't want to get into that really, but um I I had a new appreciation for him as a character and I I was much more sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Um just because of his situation and because of the manipulation and like just uh how his emotions um his like very relatable emotions uh were used. Yeah. Um to to get him to do some awful shit and even like like i think i mentioned this on a prior podcast like it's it's kind of like you can kind of relate to him in some ways like uh, someone offers it you you think that you're the one that you love is going to die Mm -hmm. um and you have reason to believe that that's going to happen yeah um and then someone that you trust whether or not that's uh, whether or not that's a good idea or not um tells you that they know a way to prevent that like you're gonna entertain those thoughts no matter how contradictory they are to your beliefs for sure um so that like in that way it's it's very relatable i think yeah especially when that person is is saying you know like deep truths about how problematic the the order that you Mm -hmm. were raised in and believed to be the good guys actually are you know like he's straight up saying things that are like oh yeah this guy's fucking right you know Um, yeah (laughs) so yeah i mean 
fairly yeah i don't know really tragic i guess like it is all about you know how institutions manipulate children yeah i mean god anyway it's a, this is a sad trilogy like oh yeah it's so <laughs> like whether it's extremely sad it's funny that it's like a, a may blockbuster all three of them were may blockbusters and they're so sad or at least yeah. the third one like the way it ends is ridiculously sad and they're so whether you dislike them or like them you have to admit that these are singular visions and really fucking weird movies like <laughs> like what like almost like feel like you're watching like a like living in a dreamscape or something like it's insane the things that happen in these movies um so yeah like if if you're on the camp if someone is on the camp of like feeling like they're bad they're not bad for the same reason that like marvel movies are bad or other types of movies are bad big blockbuster contemporary movies they're not cheap and cliche they're like yeah uh, baffling decisions and very risky decisions, especially in comparison to two, four, five, and six. Like the de- like the decision to make everyone speak as if they're in a 1930s melodrama, uh, you know, and creating a whole story that is deeply rooted in, you know, uh, bureaucracy and how mm-hmm. how politics don't function and the micro decisions, the micro manipulations that lead to to an empire rather than just focusing on, you know, war or whatever. And, and, th- and then painting it in a way that, uh, uh that it's a kid's movie mm-hmm. or that they're kids movies. Like the, the, um, the plot points are so, and, and the thematic elements are so complex. Um, but then you <laughs> like, yeah, I, I'm not going to keep talking about Jar Jar, but there, I mean, there are a number of examples where you're like, I mean, you talk about the weirdness of of this trilogy and about each movie individually. I, I that that I think adds to it a little bit. Yeah, for sure. It is. It's funny. It's so funny. We talked about that before. That like to make a film that is so geared toward kids, especially Phantom Menace, and have it be literally like the opening crawl. Like if a child tried to read the opening crawl to that movie, they'd be like. what the fuck i didn't know what was going on i had no fucking idea i was what seven years old when it came out i i uh and uh (laughs) another thing like in attack of the clones um they have 3po doing like his same old little like goofy shtick that he that he does in some of the old like original trilogy movies and it just it's like so out of place yeah his his head's like dragging he's like this is oh this is such a drag or i'm beside myself i'm I'm beside myself yeah exactly and then the whole jar jar being like the general of the army when they fight the battle droids and he's like basically doing a like a buster keaton like slapstick comedy routine or something It's yeah. pretty hilarious that yeah. yeah, I mean baffling decisions. Absolutely love it because it actually feels like it's made by the mind of a you know, maybe crazy guy, but but it actually feels like it's made by a human being. Um yeah. in spite of how, you know, CGI heavy it is, you know. Um you can't deny that there this he had a vision and he followed it through, whether you like the vision or not. But mm-hmm. I think that Jar Jar is a good place to start jumping into phantom menace specifically um 
and I mean, th- some elements I think I'm too far gone, and no one's going to agree with me because, it, it, and it, it, you know, might I, I might lose my credibility, but I, I like Jar Jar. I, okay, I, I like. Him. <laughs> All right. When he walks in, take. when he walks in on that spaceship, that's leaving Naboo. He just walks in. Oh, muy, muy, I love you. He walks into the room of a of a, a room full of astrodroids, and he's just like, hello, boyos, and they all turn their head. I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Like, I'm not joking. I legitimately think that's hilarious. Like, that they took 10 <laughs> seconds to do that. He says, hello, boyos, to a room full of droids, and they all turn their little heads and beep at him. Amazing. Yeah. I legitimately do love that. And, um... Yeah, no, I just I I don't dislike him, which is, you know, crazy to say. I do think that he's funny. I I had a really good time with him in this in the, these past two watches specifically, which I know is just a take that no one I will never I can't convince anyone of this. No. You know, there's really no way to do so, and I understand that. Um I mean, I can I can understand Hello Boyos. <laughs> That's probably one of his finest moments, but yeah, there's yeah. just a lot of other stuff where I'm just like, I, I'm confused. I spec. Yeah. I love I spec. Like stuff that's so baby talk yeah. to the point where like you can't even understand what he's trying to say. Yeah. And I, and I mean, you can listen to the blank check pod to go into like the possibly troubling nature of that performance or something, but right. I'm not, I'm not really fully up to date on that in terms of you know and i don't want to bog bog it down in that there are places where you can go to find that and i think it's worth mentioning for sure you know Watto, the being being clearly a jew yeah newt gunray newt gunray being clearly a chinese person yeah some troubling stuff for sure um but i don't want to get bogged down in it you can no you can decide whether that's problematic enough for you to dislike that's been talked about enough i think yeah 100 percent uh, I like Jar Jar. Let's well, uh, let's start at the beginning. I think I think this is okay. The, the way this movie starts is fucking awesome. in terms of how um, how it's prefacing what these movies are about, which is about the failure of institutions, right? Okay. Specifically, the fail failure of a religious institution in this case, right? So, the first scene is Obi Wan and Qui Gon down on the trade federation ship um they're secretly jedi but they're supposed to be like trying to negotiate a a settlement and um obi-wan says like i sense it or he says i have opening line of this entire trilogy is i have a bad feeling about this i'm pretty sure yeah i yeah you're right yeah i have a a bad feeling about this so that that's first of all a actually i think uh the the first line yeah tc14 I think um, has a line or two, and then right. there's like the pilots that are flying them in. Oh, true, true, yeah. Um, and then there's, but yeah, sorry, that's that's getting into semantics. The first, the first moment, meaningful, yeah, meaningful piece of dialogue. Yeah. The first moment that isn't literally just establishing a scene, yeah, is him saying, "I have a bad feeling about this," and Qui Gon being like, basically, "Shut the fuck up, forget about your bad feelings, don't think about the future." Uh. And Obi-Wan saying, like, I, this is the another really good point and recurs multiple times is that Obi-Wan says, 
but Master Yoda sh- says I should be mindful of the future. And then Qui-Gon's like, but not at the expense of the present. Uh, the moment. Yeah. The moment. Be mindful of the living force, all this sorts of stuff. Well, that sounds really smart. But then you think, Obi-Wan is actually understanding that something is happening. And yep. it's funny that he's saying this at the very start of essentially a sketch of the downfall of democracy and the downfall of the Jedi Order, right? He's saying, oh, something's afoot. And this this wise, masterful Jedi is like, oh, fucking shut up, Obi-Wan. Just <laughs> focus on <laughs> focus on the now. And that's that's how this movie is prefaced, is that, wow, these Jedi are dumb. They are, they are um, full of hubris, full of dogma. They don't understand the Force, and they're conditioning this little boy to basically forget about the reality that he's sensing. He's actually attuning himself to the Force and feeling that something is happening, and they are conditioning out the exact thing that they think they are teaching him in that moment. So I think that's a very, very interesting and very meaningful way to start this film right away. Sure. That's how it starts. Sure. Um, this is a weird part. This is oh, right after this. They do like a random force jump that is never again established in the movie. Like when the droidic has come and then Qui-Gon's like, let's go. And they go like out of the frame really fast. Oh, yeah. The they just disappear. That's that's something I, even as a kid, I was like, where the fuck did they go? Or like. Or, like, thinking that they were running really fucking fast, like the Flash or something. And, uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's something that always felt weird to me. Yeah, it's funny that, like, it's just one of those things that's, like, it's strange that that is never ever, that, like, it's never ever established again that f- Jedi have, like, speed powers, like, can run really yeah. fast or whatever, or teleport or something. I don't even know what's going on there. Um that's not I'm not saying that to say that that's like a plot hole or something, because I know that people wield this idea of like the Holdo maneuver is stupid because why didn't other people ever do that in the in the series before that? So I'm not saying that as like a plot thing. It's just funny that it it happens that one time at the start of the first movie and then it never happens again. Never again. Which I guess makes sense because there's not really Jedi afterward in in the True. six movies after so maybe but you'd think if you could run away like that they probably would have done it more than once yeah or that would be like one of the first things that they teach people so maybe ray should have known it in the <laughs> in the sequel trilogy or something i don't maybe know. she could have yeah it doesn't matter it's not really a big point but it is strange um and then again like this is off point but another just random addition in these movies at the very end of revenge of the sith yoda talks about like how Qui-Gon can communicate with them now from the other side of the force. Mm-hmm. Never, just so rare. No, never, yeah, never addressed again. That could have been cut out and there would have, it would have been completely inconsequential. It was just like, how do we, how do we like get people excited about something? It, 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 it's, yeah, it feels weird though, because it feels like it's setting up something, but the movies have already come out and it doesn't happen ever. Four, five, and six yeah. are already out. It feels like it's setting up something in four, five, and six that never happened. Right. <laughs> it's like why? Because the rest of those, the last ten minutes of that movie is setting up all of the the next trilogy. I'm I'm gonna bet that the Kenobi uh, mm. miniseries is gonna have a Qui Gon Force Ghost. That is so true. Yeah. Wow. Good call. That's a good shout. Mm-hmm. Um. He was playing the long game. 
the long, long game. <laughs> Pretty clever. But stuff. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll sell my franchise and then have someone else finish this plot point. Yeah, genius. Yeah. Anyway, so that's another weird thing. But getting back to, to Phantom Menace. Um, yep. Let's see. I mean, what it? I really like also something that struck me in this the first hour of Phantom Menace is how he how, like it doesn't it doesn't read to me anymore because. I don't remember the first time I saw it, but how he introduces R2-D2 and 3PO into these movies is so cool. Like, imagine having never seen it and sitting in a theater and have, having not seen 3PO and R2 since Return of the Jedi. And then mm-hmm. R2 has this hero moment where he goes onto yeah. the ship and, like, fixes their shields. And he becomes, like, this, like, he gets, like, a medal of honor by the queen for yeah for what he did. And it's funny also that in that scene where they're like, thank you, little droid, you saved our skin or whatever. The Kira Knightley as the, as the fake Amidala forces Padme to go clean up. Yes! R2-D2. <laughs> I have that in my notes. I was just going to say that. That's she's like, wow, she does not like her. I don't <laughs> that think she, she is like, she gets she power like... hungry as soon as she gets on that throne. <laughs> she is sticking to the bit, yeah. to the decoy. She's taking it so seriously. <laughs> it's my job. Sorry, lady. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> I've never thought of that before. It's really funny, little thing. It's so funny. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I don't know. What do you what What do you think of these first moments? Because before, like pre pod race, what are your feelings on this movie? Um, I okay. I'll go back to our conversation from the last podcast. Um, the storytelling is not concise. Um, which I don't think is a problem. I have that note here yeah uh just just to relate back to what we were talking about in the in the original trilogy i don't think it's a problem i think this is a completely different uh way of storytelling for sure um and it's not it's not so much a scene to scene thing as it is a big picture thing Mm -hmm. um so i i don't think that's a problem um yeah pre-podrace uh I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to look through my notes here. It's a lot of setup for sure. Uh, there is a ton of setup. Um, I think okay, yeah. The one point, uh, the one note that I had, I wanted to discuss this with you, and I know this is kind of like a, this is a Star Wars lore thing, mm-hmm. but the immaculate conception, yeah, idea with Anakin, um, and how he was. It's it's said that there was no father, mm-hmm. and Shmi doesn't know how to, how to explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Qui-Gon posits that he thinks that he was conceived by midichlorians. Yeah. Um, and then in Revenge of the Sith, you hear Sidious talking about uh, Darth Plagueis using midichlorians to create life. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could posit that either Plagueis or Sidious created anakin yeah yeah interesting um as part of the grand plan for sure but uh i mean there there have been novels that have come out there's a darth plagueis novel Mm -hmm. that came out that basically like um placed him in different points throughout the prequels yeah um and like what he was doing until the point that he was killed by sidious um i think he was killed before the events of attack the clones right I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um because he the uh, a big part of that book is him realizing Anakin exists. 
and trying to get to him right early mm-hmm. like um and like knowing that the jedi are probably going to be like he's too old fuck this guy mm-hmm. um and wanting to jump back on him and and right. take him for, oh, for okay. himself which in that sense it, it and it sounds like in that book um he neither of them knew of his existence right okay so that's interesting um, i think oh, go ahead. but that is it but uh, but that is not canon right so, it's not like george lucas it's not no. it is legends canon like it was legend it was canon before disney happened technically. before disney yeah but it's um or i guess it's expanded universe i don't know what the terms are i'm not like a fan fan um me neither me neither i'm more of just a mainline movies yeah fan. so yeah yeah i think that's interesting and it sort of speaks to what some of the ideas of the film are in the sense that there's like the will of the force exists there's like mm-hmm. a trajectory of the universe that right that so cannot this, uh, be controlled yes so this was right the this was the other point was in that book darth plagueis believes that the force created anakin to combat almost like a karma type situation to combat his attempts to um to control the midichlorians and control them and make them do his bidding the force counters back by creating this this being that is so strong that will bring balance to the force um so that that was the explanation in the book and again not canon um but um it's an interesting yeah it's an interesting discussion not one that has really an answer i don't think yeah and i think that yeah that's interesting and i think that's nice in terms of how how that thematic thread sort of finishes with anakin where it starts with anakin where there's some will of the force there's a prophecy the the jedi do not understand the prophecy and perhaps anakin did bring balance to the force because he killed all of the dogmatic jedi except for two of them and there were two sith that's balance and then also you know so then it's this idea that they thought they could control the events of 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 this bringing balance to the force, but they just didn't understand it and they couldn't control it. And the will of the force did happen where the institutions that surrounded the force that were turning them into dogma were destroyed. Mm -hmm. And the Jedi just didn't really understand how it would work because they were so blinded by their own hubris and ego and dogma. Right. So there's a, there's a will of the force that, institutions will never be able to control there's a trajectory of the universe and then that wraps up with how anakin thinks that he can control the future again because he sees that something's happening with padme he sees that padme is going to die um he thinks that he can control the universe the will of the force and then his actions end up being the reason why she dies Mm -hmm. right so it's like Mm -hmm part of this whole trajectory of this trilogy is one that that politicians powerful people can control and destroy a lot of things but there is also some predetermined trajectory of the universe that cannot be controlled by anyone Mm -hmm. you know and both of those things are happening at the same time in really really interesting ways i think yeah 
for sure. Um, the only other pre-podcast or pre-podcast pre-pod race point that I have is I think the most uh, the only Jar Jar note that I wrote down because I think it's his most weird and annoying moment in the movie is um, when Anakin is like fixing up the pod racer prior to the pod race mm-hmm. uh, before he starts it up for the first time. Yeah. And Jar Jar is helping for what, I don't know what the fuck he's doing, but <laughs> he like, he drops a, he drops like a wrench or like a screwdriver or something. And it goes into like, I don't know. It goes into a weird spot. He leans down to get it, mm-hmm. grabs it, bring his, his head up and gets his head stuck in like this, like, beam i don't this beam beam. which anakin has warned him not to get close to um numbs his face and in doing that drops it into the side thing Mm -hmm. shoves his hand in gets that stuck now he can't speak and his hand is stuck so then padme comes and saves him and he breaks the fourth wall and gives the audience a thumbs up and i just (laughs) think that is the weirdest fucking scene (laughs) Like, just the most inexplicable scene. Is he breaking the fourth wall, or is it just a POV shot of the people standing in that frame? You know what I mean? Or maybe it's both. It, I, I always felt like he broke the fourth wall. Okay. maybe That's, it's... That was always my interpretation, and it's the weirdest fucking thing. You're right. Yeah, it is It is certainly strange. There are... there there Something, another thing I noted was that there was only one, maybe other than that, POV quote-unquote maybe pov shot there's only one other pov shot of c3po talking to anakin and it's really strange when anakin's leaving uh okay c3po the camera is doing c3po's pov and it's sort of like it's a handheld shot following anakin across the room as he's like packing up his stuff and it's like completely out of nowhere and like not similar to the rest of the formal style of the film really weird yeah that is weird i've never I don't think I ever really thought about that before. I don't know why they chose to do it. it. It's just one of those things that is maybe George just felt like it at the time, you know, out of mm-hmm. nowhere. But he has yeah. like a real formal control of these movies in a way that people don't really give him credit for. And that is one that sort of stands out as not like bad, but just strange. And uh, yeah, that Jar Jar scene is also strange. No matter what, you know what? I can't, I can't say I have no way around it. It is weird. Okay. But I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's clear. Those are the moments where it's like, oh, this is, he's m- making a political film about, or uh, making a political film that like literal babies can enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is funny. Um, but I also like, so let's see. I, I like those moments before the pod race where it's also sowing the seeds of like the uselessness, not only the failure of the Jedi order where Qui-Gon is, you know, actively trying to kidnap this boy because he thinks he understands what the prophecy is. So this whole sequence before the pod race is illustrating that on Tatooine, but it's also illustrating the uselessness of the Republic because the Republic has these anti-slavery laws and all this sort of thing. And then Shmi is like, the Republic doesn't exist here. We are forgotten. Like, Mm-hmm. You think that it functions because you are on a rich planet, but it doesn't, you know? So it, these moments are illustrating both of the two things that it's trying to talk about in terms of its failure, the failures of institution, like church and state, I guess you could say. 
um, really effectively weaves both of those things into the trajectory of the narrative, I think. Um, so I agree with you that the, the storytelling is not like economical in the way that, that the trilogy is, but that's just a circumstance of it, these films being much more complex. And within the context of really complex political films, and a quote unquote political film, it's not, it's not like a political film, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, um, the storytelling is, there is a place for almost everything, except for those those little moments of, you know, Jar Jar doing like com- comedic relief and stuff. But like, you know, the conversations at the table and the little conversations that Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon have at the start of the movie, like I'm talking about, and Palpatine's little discussions and the Naboo's council talking about what's happening and all these sorts of things. There is no like, there's no fat here. It's no. They're just complicated movies. So everything here has like a really interesting place textually, thematically, formally, in a lot of really cool ways. And then we're not even at the two two of maybe the best uh, pure moments of spectacle in all of blockbuster filmmaking that happened in this movie. We haven't even got there yet. And yeah, there's already so much to chew on in these in these movies, I think. Because the pod race is essentially pure spectacle, you know? It's pure technological experimentation. And that's something that I don't think George Lucas generally gets the credit for as is basically an inventor of cinematic technology. Mm -hmm. Like these movies, they they when he started production on these movies or pre-production, he couldn't make the movies. There was no technological basis to make the movies. That's why he had to wait until yeah 90s early 2000s and they invented this technology essentially mm-hmm. right so the uh, you could say that the, that the technology didn't age well or whatever or that it's bastardized in MCU movies and in 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 pictures that have like budgets that are completely unwieldy corporate environments and all these sort of things but he was like the, these are experimental films in that sense like jar jar whether you, <laughs> I understand why people don't like him, but he is an experimental character. Like the mm-hmm. idea of having, you know, an entire sequence of the droids and the gun guns fighting each other. That entire thing is like an animated film. Yeah. There's nothing real in those things at all. And that was completely unprecedented. And I like how, how in the first like Phantom Menace, I enjoy the fact that the Phantom Menace is, has like sort of degraded in its CGI because you can feel the trajectory of the technology against the Revenge of the Sith, where it like um, there are movies in that or moments in that movie, sure that don't quote unquote haven't aged well in terms of the technology, but there mm-hmm. are also moments where it feels that like look amazing. This this is the dream that George Lucas had that he achieved through by making these movies and and mm-hmm. developing this technology. So I think the pod race specifically is that first moment of like, holy shit, this is like the ontology of cinema has changed because of these movies. Like cinema used to be indexical. It used to be about that these images are real and an author can't control the images. Like he can control the images to an extent, but he can't really, not everything, not in the same way that a painter could have. Mm-hmm. And now cinema has returned or not returned, but, but art has returned to this painterly form 
because he can control everything essentially and so cinema whether you like it or not has completely changed and he has created it um and the pod race is that first version and it's also just like one of the most thrilling sequences i think of of all time yeah i love the pod race i always have that's that's one part of the movie that i've always really loved um i actually still think it looks good like yeah i think i still think it looks great yeah for sure i think yeah. oh gosh i re- i really really like that and um mm-hmm. yeah i think of like the timing of sabalba spinning out slamming on the ground it being like silent for a second him going like poodoo and then like eruption as everyone's excited yeah. and everything that just the timing of that moment is so fantastic right at the end of like it feels like the audience in the movie is the audience in the theater basically witnessing something that has never happened before in mm-hmm. terms of cinematic technology and being like, yes. like wow that was amazing we're cheering <laughs> along with the audience because like we can't yeah. believe that you know one of the most incredible moments of digital technology narrative digital technology has just happened in front of us so yeah i mean gosh that whole thing is real real cool mm-hmm. um and then we again we haven't talked about the fact that i mean i have a shit ton to say about the climax of this movie where mm-hmm. not only is is there one of the great um digital pieces of cinema in the pod race in terms of a full sequence but there's one of the great uh organic choreography human based mm-hmm. moments of action spectacle as well in this movie in the Darth Maul Qui-Gon Obi-Wan sequence cuz that really I don't know if you agree with me but that is like truly one of the most thrilling scenes in blockbuster cinema I I definitely think it's the I think it is the best sequence in the Star Wars universe. Mm. For sure. Yeah, I would agree with that. Especially because like not only is that scene amazing, but it's being intercut. <laughs> like George Lucas's use of intercutting in the in the finale is like unbelievable. Mm-hmm. He's intercutting between four sequences that are all in communication with each other where it's like Padme and the crew finding new Gunray, the battle droids and the Gungans, Anakin in the sky on the Tread Federation ship, and then the battle of Obi-Wan Qui-Gon and Darth Maul. And he's intercutting between them all in such like a, like a masterful way in how like the trajectory, like the, uh, the pacing or the, 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 yeah, the, the inertia of these sequences cutting in between, it doesn't feel like he's cutting in between four scenes. It feels like one i don't know like masterful piece of montage mm-hmm. yeah the duel of duel of the fates is is amazing mm-hmm. um it's um yeah definitely one of my favorite moments in the star wars universe mm-hmm. um i found qui-gon's death uh genuinely upsetting <laughs> um and I think it's because I actually I see Qui-Gon a little bit differently than you do um, in that I feel that he um, uh, while he is very indoctrinated by the Jedi way he's kind of like he's kind of starting to step out yeah a little bit like I see him I see him as more of an enigma than yeah. someone that's completely like there's the 
uh like even just like wanting to train anakin mm-hmm. despite like the way that they feel about it and obi-wan being like uh do not defy the council master not again like yeah. as if he ha- he defies the council a lot for sure yeah um so in that way i kind of like i i do kind of feel a lot more sympathy for him yeah um and 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 the and i know the way that like you can it's palpable the way that anakin feels about him like he is like a father figure to him Mm -hmm. um and he kind of just when he dies he kind of just passes along this responsibility to obi-wan and obi-wan takes it in uh in respect for Mm qui-gon but there's almost like I don't, and I don't know if this is manufactured in my head, but almost like a reluctance or, uh, I don't know. Like there's just a different relationship between those two than there would have been with Qui-Gon and Anakin. I think like more, more of like a brotherly connection. I know Anakin, uh, in Attack of the Clones is like, he's the closest thing that I have to a father, uh, or you're the closest thing I, you, I, I've ever had to a father. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I don't see him as a fatherly influence, um, which I think kind of lends to the uh, Palpatine's agenda. Yeah. Uh, in that he kind he of steps in like almost father, like a fatherly. Yeah. yeah. For sure. So, yeah. It, it, all that being said, I, I do feel I, I felt more upset about Qui-Gon dying for those reasons yeah for sure i think that no i I totally agree that qui-gon is like he's not pure dogma like yoda and mace windu he's not like pure ego like what they show in in Mm -hmm. this movie he has this um sort of rebellious streak and he has this um uh ideological grounding that isn't totally in line with this institutional version of it um Mm -hmm. and i think that is interesting i like I, I am saying that he's like a psychopath and he's kidnapping a kid and stuff which you know i'm i'm using uh sort of hyperbolic language i guess to to illustrate a point but i do i i don't think like i i also think that qui-gon is a very interesting and tragic character because he's he he illustrates the limitations of resistance that can happen within an institution you know what i mean like right like um within an institutional reality there's only so much a person can do to resist dogma and resist right. the power that it wields so then yeah. his death is tragic really tragic in that sense you know because he was just trying to resist a little bit and follow his heart and and like reorient what he thinks the force is and all that sort of thing and he never gets to accomplish it and it's really sad because yeah, you're totally right that he, he is the father figure that it feels like Obi-Wan he's, he's Obi-Wan's father figure, but he's also Anakin's and then Mm Obi-Wan and Anakin's relationship is more like either like a stepdad or an uncle or a brother or something like that where they're sort of like Anakin's resisting him at all, all the time, especially in attack of the clones, like really not interested in like, he thinks that he's more powerful than Mm Obi-Wan like all the time, like even before, Palpatine starts telling him that right well and and right until the end yeah, right until exactly. until that scene on Mustafar where yeah. yeah so that's pretty I think that is a really interesting choice again and in, in how 
you know, it, it creates these really beautiful character moments and sets up this relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin. Um, and it's also, you know, thematically illustrating this idea of there's only so much you can do in an institutional reality and maybe they have to crumble for something to be reconstructed, you know what I mean? And into something yeah. more meaningful and useful and utilitarian. So Qui-Gon's, oh, Qui-Gon's amazing. I think that that's a really interesting um really interesting character for sure mm-hmm. um and yeah his death is really really sad um and so i guess i guess that's a it's a good place to get into this final moment the four scenes being intercut and like kind of like the crux of why i think these this film is so meaningful i've already said a bunch of stuff obviously but specifically with that fight scene and then with Anakin above the fight scene is how it's these moments are completely in conversation with a new hopes ending George Lucas. I, I watched the behind the scenes today and George Lucas said that as well, where it sort of like rhymes with, with a new hope or it like acts as a stanza that like sort of repeats with a new hope. He speaks about it really poetically and how the final, moments of this film are constructed which i think is really interesting and i think it's true and in this in this movie um it's uh the two scenes that it rhymes with is is darth vader and obi-wan fighting and lucas Mm -hmm. or not luke not lucas luke skywalker standing back and having to watch obi-wan die right and luke up in the death star um, and shooting the Death Star, right? And then how Anakin's Anakin and the Trade Federation ship rhymes with that as well. And in this movie, it intercuts them together on top of each other rather than being two sequential events, um, like in A New Hope, which I think is, I don't know, it's an interesting stylistic and formal choice that I th- think makes it more thrilling and 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 helps you understand how it's rhyming because these two rhymes are happening at the same time. It's like layering a harmony together mm-hmm. and how these two sequences are in conversation with a new hope and he's layering them together. So it feels like they're harmonizing in a different way than if they happened at different points in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me say a few things and we'll, I'll get into the meat of what I'm saying and then we'll see what, what you think of it or if I'm totally up my own ass. <laughs> So with with these two fight or these two scenes, let's let's focus on those before we focus on the other two, where the battle between Obi Wan and Darth Vader is reinscribed to thematically illustrate what this these movies are about, which is institutional dualisms and how they are inherently making reality too simple. Reality is non dualistic. The Force is non dualistic. This is based on Taoism and Buddhism. That's just the truth. If you're making good and evil characterizations then you probably don't understand reality. And that's what this whole trajectory of this trilogy is sort of about, right? The interesting thing about this fight and the interesting thing about Darth Maul's character design is that it is purposefully illustrating them as a much deeper dualism and a much more set dualism than A New Hope was. Where Darth Maul, instead of Darth Vader... Darth Vader, now that we know his story, is sort of this like ambivalent, tortured, sad character. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also like this 
unstable signifier of technology and organic matter because he's a cyborg, which is something that George Lucas is fully obsessed with this, Mm -hmm. you know, collapsing or like, I don't know. Like I talked about it in a new hope where he's sort of like that one feels a little bit ideologically incoherent. And then the prequel sort of works through it in a, a little bit more of a intentional way, I think, and how he's like talking about tech and organic matter in the original one with a new hope where he takes his scanner off or whatever to like focus on the force mm-hmm. and destroy the death star he's, he's sort of sketching this like oh organic is good tech is bad sort of thing the death star is bad planets are good all these sort of thing and then in this one the whole trajectory of the trilogy is to show that anakin is this unstable signification of both of organic and tech and how you can't like following the thread of this trilogy being about how you can't like prescribe good and evil moralizing judgments to things Mm -hmm. and how you need to be non-dual in your thinking anakin is like the illustration of that and how this obsession with tech and organic matter that that uh george lucas has he's like the perfect signifier of a non-dual version of that where it's ambivalent you don't understand him right so that's darth vader in a new hope obi-wan is this sort of reconstructed version of his knowledge of the force right where he sacrifices himself because he knows that he's just going to be more powerful like he doesn't have Mm -hmm. to fight him right so he clearly has an actually like now has a mystical understanding of the force that is probably much more in tune with the actual will of the force than what he had in these movies where he's in Mm -hmm. a religious institution he has now learned from the downfall of the jedi and has this new understanding right so both of them vader and obi-wan are kind of like non-dual they are they don't really signify like moralizing good and evil in the same way that darth maul who is like a satan man he's literally referencing (laughs) like the christian devil and then qui-gon being like a monk like a a good monk who knows the ways of the forest and all these sort of thing do. And maybe he's like resisting the institution a little bit, but he's still like supposed to be like, Oh, he's, he's even more good than the Jedi order because he's trying to resist it a little bit and like focus on what is the light side of the force and what the good thing is. So he's sort of like a signifier of goodness. Darth Maul is signifier of evil, you know, and really sort of more dual ways than in um a new hope right so right this tri- if this trilogy is about how institutions create these dualisms to control people and make create dualisms like good and evil to flatten reality into th- ways that are too simplistic for reality then darth maul and qui-gon fighting each other are a really interesting way of sketching that and especially in how it rhymes with a new hope right and it's also devastating that you know, specifically bringing it back to a character perspective with Obi-Wan and this one, he is the one witnessing the death. And then in a new hope, he's the one that is the one dying, you know, right? Like he goes from, mm-hmm. he he's, he's the constant in between both scenes. Right. And it, his trajectory represents going from someone who's being indoctrinated into dogma into turning in a man who's like, Oh, learning from Qui-Gon's mistakes essentially. And being like, we don't have to have good and evil like the the living force the great mystery and com- encapsulates light and dark all these sorts of things and he just like gives himself up 
So I think that moment also makes A New Hope better. You know what I mean? And that, that's sure. what I think about this prequel is that people talk about like, oh, Anakin, the like their performance of Anakin ruins Darth Vader because he's like a whiny baby and not like a scary evil man. But I think it like, you know, like reinscribes all these moments like with a deep ennui and meaning and tragedy. Let me get I I'm almost done. Don't worry. Everybody, okay. I'm almost done, guys. I know this is a lot and I know I probably it's not as interesting as it, it could be, but I'm trying. Fucking trying. I think it is interesting. Okay. I think it's interesting. Okay, good, 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 good. Alright. So we talked about that. That's the first rhyme with A New Hope. Is this sort of purposefully more flattened version of reality. Um, to to visually signify what the Jedi Order does to people's perceptions of reality, right? And that's what Palpatine is sort of breaking down in Anakin's psyche later on. Um, which is, I mean, I don't know. I find that so fascinating. Um, and it also, we'll get to this later, but Revenge of the Sith's fight scene, it kind of rhymes with that one as well to be like the two big fight scenes at the end of the first and the third of these movies where specifically to to follow this thematic trajectory um these lightsaber battles have always had visual signifiers of good and evil in the color of the lightsaber right so the good mm-hmm. the bad guy has always had a red lightsaber because that's a bad color and the good guy has always had either a green or a blue and then revenge yeah. of the sith is the first time where there is nothing there's no indicator of good and evil anymore because they're both using blue lightsabers and that Mm -hmm. is the only fight scene in all of these movies where that occurs um and obviously that that is another visual signifier of of how the flattening moralizing good and evil that is occurring in this battle with a satan man and a, a good monk has now flattened and it's just two blue lightsabers and two broken boys that were indoctrinated into an institution fighting each other. Mm-hmm. And there's no there's no more of that visual signification. So it's the whole trajectory of these fights sort of follow that thread as well, which I think is, it moves me so deeply. Um, so that's all that stuff. There's one more rhyme, and that's with Anakin and the ship, right? And how that rhymes with the Death Star and Luke. And Luke, yeah. Um, the parallel here isn't necessarily i don't think that history repeats itself in the same way that that the force awakens is sort of trying to say that in in its sort of repetition of the death star thing that's kind of what it's doing is that if you don't if you don't figure out why the war happened another war is going to happen the same thing will happen to the next generation or whatever so maybe it 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 does partially do that i guess but it it's also i think tracing a historiographic way of thinking again with the idea of like taxation of trade routes where it's a trade federation ship being destroyed and a literal destroyer of planets right and it's creating Mm -hmm. a rhyme between those two things to sort of link them in history to be like something as innocuous as a trade federation ship has led to a the ultimate weapon basically just destroys all life Right, so it's it's like visually tracing a trajectory again in a really fascinating way, I think. But I think the most important element, and we've already discussed it, is how it how it reinforces this idea of 
the a living will and a and a trajectory of history that can't be controlled because the difference between this scene the biggest difference is that Luke destroys the Death Star because he attunes with the with the Force and makes this one in a million shot. Anakin destroys the Trade Federation by fucking accident because he doesn't know how to run the ship and he's a little boy. Mm-hmm. And that's the big difference between these two scenes. And I think that you know uh, is per is setting up what happens later on with the prophecy and all this and Anakin accident like basically creating the future that he was scared of. Um, setting it up where the universe allows this to happen, you know, like it's not controlled right. again. Like there, there's, there's this through line of right. of complete control with, with Palpatine, but also especially here and in, in a few other places, this idea of like things happening completely are out of our control, and that yeah. thematic thread is more overt and obvious because of how Luke was in complete control. And attuning himself to the will of the force or whatever, so it, mm-hmm. it 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 points that out a little bit more because of how it's completely opposite from what a new hope is happening. So, I mean, and there's there's more. I think that uh, the, you know this idea of organic and tech is interesting in how uh, metatextually it's illustrated in how the Gungans and the droids fighting are. It's literally an animated movie, but then Padme and Newt Gunray is like they're running through an actual like Venetian mansion trying to find a guy in a costume. So he's right. intercutting between it's so it's cool so cool that I think he's inter- intercutting between like something that I mean there's still CGI in those in the moments in the Naboo Palace or whatever but it's like, you know, a set, a real set on location, guys in costumes and makeup and then he's intercutting to a literally an animated film as well. Mm-hmm. So he has this interesting like relationship to organic and tech where he's trying to destroy the idea of good and evil that he created in four five and six through like this you know collapsing of duality and this unstable signifier of anakin um and it's also metatextually extending to the trajectory of the films and how he's using technology to create this vision of a movie that he wasn't able to make before right so how could you make a movie about being against technology by using technology you know so i think that that's it, he's techno technologically innovating and sort of he he has a totally different ideological trajectory in these movies than he does with the old ones you know what i mean like it right. feels like the creation of a man who learned from from and and like moved like became wiser or or at least more like being more okay with ambiguity and um, paradoxical representations of these sort of dualities. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's all that stuff. I don't know. Why don't you talk for a while? I've, I, I talked a lot. That's sort of my big thesis of why I think this movie is like masterful, very important, obviously in terms of history. And yeah, one of my favorite films. Sure. Uh, I don't have a heck of a lot more to say about phantom menace um uh i mean that's a lot that's a lot deeper than i've ever like, we've discussed this before in person um the that the whole um technology versus um organic matter and 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 that whole theme um john williams i think 
Oh. Some of some of his best work is in this oh. movie. And actually I, I would I would argue that his best work is in this trilogy. Yeah, Duel of the Fates specifically. Um and then I, I think I talked I may have talked about this in uh, a prior podcast, but the Duel of F- the Fates and then the callback to Duel of the Fates um in the uh in Revenge of the Sith in the battle with Anakin and Obi-Wan and and uh uh Darth Sidious and, and Yoda. I, I, I don't know how to describe it, but it, it's it gives me just visceral visceral heart rate heart racing feelings. Yeah. And and I, I just think it's it's some of the greatest it, it, it it's some of the greatest scoring in in movie history. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. And all three movies have like deeply iconic score moments with Duel of the Fates, for sure, being obviously the Phantom Menace one. The like Journey to the Stars, like the love theme in Attack of the Clones mm-hmm. is f- fucking beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of playing behind them going out into the arena as they're like kissing or whatever. And mm-hmm. thinking they're about to die and it like completely swelling is so amazing. And then also the sort of gag moment that he does with Journey to the Stars where he Anakin, the first time Anakin kisses Padme and it sort of begins to swell. And then she pulls away and the, and the orchestra goes like, and this, the theme ends <laughs> in the middle of it happening. I think it's so funny in the middle of like, you know, an icon, like unbelievably good song. And then, yeah, the the Revenge of the Sith one's as well like the anakin obi-wan scene the order 66 song is like oh and and the 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 song that plays when obi-wan is is talking to anakin for the last time and everything is yeah pretty devastating stuff and i 100 percent agree with you yeah there's a lot of emotions attached to that music and he does a really good job of of calling back um to the original trilogy and pulling elements of that music as well like i think i think that's something that's underappreciated like um like as early as the phantom menace Mm -hmm. um there's a scene at the end where yoda's talking to obi-wan in the jedi temple um about uh and yoda saying anakin is dangerous and uh he and that yoda disagrees with the council about giving obi-wan permission to train him mm-hmm. and in the background uh there's like the imperial the imperial march theme is kind of is kind of interwoven to the music bit, yeah uh, just a little bit mm-hmm. and then uh there, there's a few other times yeah uh when anakin is talking about killing the tuscan raiders when he's telling padme about it mm-hmm. uh in, in attack of the clones the Imperial March kind of plays in the back there because it like shows like this anger within yeah. him and like kind of uh, it's like foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to think there. I mean, obviously, a lot in Revenge of the Sith. I think um, that another big moment for the Imperial March is at the end of Attack of the Clones when Palpatine sees the army of the clones yes. for the first time mm-hmm. and like the Imperial March swells for the first time. And it's, yes. that's really interesting because it's supposed to be like the Republic is the good guys. And this is the army of the Republic, but the Imperial March is playing like what? Like, 
he uses yeah. that really interesting that is that is really cool yeah. I, I i i like that a lot actually mm-hmm. yeah for yeah. sure and then like yoda's theme like weaves in a few times which is interesting and obviously the original force theme comes in as well and you know it's just insane that he has like so many <laughs> iconic motifs throughout mm-hmm. these nine movies and he can just like weave them all through and it sounds unbelievable also leia's theme from uh from a new hope mm-hmm. plays um at the very end of Re- revenge of the sith when they have scenes of of bail organa bringing yeah. her to his wife yeah uh, on on alderaan mm-hmm. um yeah and that yeah he's uh, john williams is amazing yeah it's pretty incredible like unbelievable that stuff yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We can wrap up uh, Phantom Menace if you're ready to do so, I think. I don't think I have anything else I think so. other than to yep. say, like, I also don't think that Jake Lloyd is bad. Like, he's bad in the sense of, like, this, like, melodramatic acting or whatever. But, like, kids don't actually talk like that. Like, don't talk like movie actors talk. Like, the, the like, child performances that are really, like, praised by people. Like, um, what's his name in The Sixth Sense? Haley Joel Osment in the sixth sense mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Like, like these classic, like child performances, no child talks like that. Like maybe it's a good, sure. it technically is a good, like dramatic performance, but like kids talk strange kid, t- kids talk over the top and weird and, and like, like cloyingly honest and, and awkward and that, and that sort of thing. So I don't think it, it sucks that he got so much shit i think and oh i agree i totally agree like it is completely uncalled for he uh i mean i think it kind of ruined his life yeah and that's devastating because he was like not an actor they cast him he was he had no experience like (laughs) it's he'd been on uh jingle all the way yeah oh yeah true forgot about yeah yeah i think that that may have been one of he learned how to act from arnie from arnie which is yeah (laughs) <laughs> there you go yeah there you go <laughs> well that's it for phantom menace i think it's really right. good and i think it's the that final scene where they're so funny where uh mason windu and yoda are talking at at qui-gon's funeral and they're like oh what's going on this is crazy the dark side clouds everything we don't know what's happening and then there's this secret force the secret sith or whatever and then it just cuts over to palpatine and he's sort of like watching it and has like a tiny wry smile on his face before yeah. it ends and it's like you guys are idiots like he's literally standing across from you and you, you can't dumb fucks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah and actually getting into attack of the clones there's some really egregious moments as far as them not yeah. recognizing things. yeah for sure let's <laughs> let's jump into attack of the clones yeah, I, have, let's do I have very little this should be more free this one will be quick yeah 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 attack of the clones is uh i i definitely i still think it's the weakest of this trilogy 100 percent and in an overall like a somewhat weak movie it's not bad i don't think it's bad i used to think it was bad i don't think it's bad um i mean that's a subjective term but it's cringe um, it's a little cringy in spots um uh but from the top uh right opening scene there's a ship landing on coruscant it's the the senator amidala ship Mm. and uh the pilot is there with some mystery person Mm -hmm. and uh 
uh, he's like, he was like, I was wrong. Yeah. Uh, there was no, there, there was no danger at all. And then there's just this explosion. <laughs> and, uh, um, the decoy Corday, mm-hmm. um, is, I mean, she's a decoy there. The use of decoys is a little confusing in it. Like, I feel like it's a little, like, I don't totally understand it. Like the, the, with the phantom menace and attack of the clones, like, uh, the, I don't, I don't really get it. What do you mean? Like, um, the, like the reason why they were doing it? The whole, yeah. Like why? Yeah. It just seems excessive in my opinion, or like that it's there. Like, I don't under, really understand the reason or how it really lends to the plot at all. It's just kind of there. Well, I think it's, I mean, functionally it's to protect her, right? It's like, well, no, I know. I, I do know that functionally. Um, it just seems it just seems weird to me, right? And I I also think it's a funny explication of like the Jedi are fucking dumb because Qui Gon was hanging out with Queen Amidala Queen Amidala the whole time and he didn't realize it, you know? Sure, yeah. So okay. maybe that's yeah. part of it. If you formulate it that way, I think that makes sense. But she so she gets hit, Corday. You realize this mysterious character is actually Padme, mm-hmm. and she comes over. And Corday says to Padme, I failed you, Senator. Mm-hmm. And I, I've always thought to myself, no, you haven't. <laughs> this is exactly what you're the you decoy You fulfilled for. your duty. Yeah. You <laughs> have fulfilled your duty as a decoy. Yeah. Like this is anyways, <laughs> I've always thought that was, that was strange. It's sad. Um, it is sad. It's definitely sad. Um, there's someone coming after Padme. Um, uh, it's, and then I think right off the bat, Obi Wan and Anakin are bantering, uh, like they're sent to to protect her, um, because there's clearly someone after her. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're and they're bantering in the elevator. There's like immediately palpable tension, mm-hmm. and I I think that that that's something that's underappreciated. Yeah, is the the interaction between those two. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think it actually is very well done. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I I think it's something I definitely underappreciate. I think uh, obviously I, I, a lot of other people probably do too, because mm-hmm. um, I have a higher opinion of this movie than I think other people probably do. Um, the right from the beginning, like the the uh, the chase on Coruscant, where uh, the uh, the bounty hunter, not the not Django Fett, but the whatever the ass- assassin, assassin yeah. or whatever. Um, when Obi Wan like jumps out the window, like Anakin, they sense the fucking poison slugs. Yeah, Anakin jumps in the room, kills the two slugs, which is fucking dope. So cool. He's just like so in tune with the Force that he can just wildly swing his lightsaber and kill these two tiny slugs that are on mm. the woman that he loves. Mm-hmm. Like like they're on her, and he doesn't like even scratch her, yeah, not even a little fun. bit. Obi-Wan jumps out the fucking window, like through the glass and grabs onto this thing in this huge, like that whole sequence yeah. is so awesome. <laughs> I think it's so good. And it's fun. Uh, but then there's like, I, I talked about the palpable tension with Obi-Wan and Anakin mm-hmm. and the point in the chase where he's like, Anakin, 
how many times have I told you to stay away from power couplings? And they're like in a chase. It's like it's like, is this the right time to talk yeah. about this? Like it's like it's like what do you what do you expect him to do? He's trying to follow this fucking assassin that drives by the power couplings. It's like yeah. and you're and you're ripping on him for that. Um and uh I, I also love the line, why do I get the feeling you're going to be the death of me? Yeah. <laughs> Which is I I mean, it, that's just a goofy George Lucas there like you go. I, I think that I, I like it though. Yeah, I like it's it goofy. Time. It's goofy, but I like it. Yeah. yeah. Um but that yeah, I think that opening sequence is awesome. Um and it sets up the whole um the whole noir plot line where obi-wan is like investigating this person yeah. um that that's trying to kill like they they find the poison dart and he's trying to and i think that that is that's a that's a cool and unique part of this movie that uh that that whole storyline is kind of interesting yeah um I, yeah sorry you can go well i just i just think that i like i like how unexplained it is a little bit like this whole thing with sifidius and count dooku Mm -hmm. and this like secret army and stuff and how it's not really explained at all in these movies and i like that because it like it feels like palpatine is just doing so much yeah like shit i was like whoa he's doing this too like i don't really understand but what is he has like this plan that is just so confusing you know yeah it's like did he did sifidius order the army or did palpatine do it under sifidius's like persona or did he manipulate Sifidius into doing this or like was it him at all like it's it is interesting I mean this this also relates to the Jedi being fucking stupid they're just kind of like oh shit okay cool Sifidius he he uh he made these clones all right let's take them let's just go they're on our side let's fucking go yeah and like there's no there's not really a lot of question as to like what's going on there yeah i think that apparently i did some re uh, some wikipedia research and apparently the plagueis book explains it a little bit where like sifidius had been talking about wanting to make an army for the republic a bunch as a member of the jedi council so it wasn't like out of nowhere but he he did like order the 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 army in secret but it he ordered it in secret because he had been talking about it to the council a bunch. And right. then they like made him step down, I think because his ideas were a little bit too like militaristic or something for their sure. liking. Okay. Um, and then also another thing is that Plagueis and Palpatine basically planted the idea of a clone army in Sifidius's head originally because Palpatine was acting as a Senator and Plagueis was acting as like a member of like, the banking clan or something he was like a he was like a a rich guy who was involved in the diplomacy of the new of the naboo and and the high council and stuff so basically they had this plan to convince sifidius to order an army for the republic to eventually use once palpatine became the leader of the republic or whatever Mm -hmm. so he did do it and then count dooku killed sifidius himself so that he could take control over the the army that was being manufactured. Sure. Um so all that I do but I do agree. It's funny that the Jedi are just like, uh okay. 
Cool. Yeah. <laughs> nice. It's like whatever. <laughs> we'll not we'll not even really question the fact that it was erased from like the the yeah. location of Camino is erased from the archives. It's just like oh stupid Obi-Wan. Yeah. You fucking dummy. Like yeah. it doesn't exist. Yeah. Um and then and then he finds it and they're like, Oh, cool, that's great. Like, um, fine. <laughs> um Yeah, and then so that that whole storyline's intercut with like the Anakin and Padme uh scenes um the scenes i think the scenes that are supposed to be like really emotional are kind of tough um it's like pretty cheesy um but the same i i i actually think the scenes where they're kind of goofing around and like they have like little banter and and stuff like that they're not that bad like the it is clear that they have a bit of a connection um and it's not as forced as i think that i've i like it, but it just is like the whole concept is weird because he was a child and she was a teenager and they just meet briefly and have like a bit of a connection in the Phantom Menace. Like there is a weird scene where he's already on the ship and yeah. she like comes and finds him and he's like, I'm cold. And she's like, she like gives him a blanket mm-hmm. and she says, uh, many things will change when we reach the capital, Annie, but my caring for you won't change. And then he says, I care for you too, only I. And then she's like, miss your mother. And I'm like, what? Like, that is that is a really weird exchange. I don't really get it. Right. Like, what the relation is there. And, like, it, it is kind of weird that a teenager is, like, maybe or maybe not, like, crushing on a little boy. Um, And then years later, obviously, like, it makes sense that he's obsessed with her. Mm-hmm. Because he's this little boy who sees this teenager that's very attractive, that's, like, powerful and attractive. And, like, he he feels like he has a connection with her. But then, like, how quickly she's just like, okay, yeah, like, <laughs> hell yeah. Yeah. Come and, like. <laughs> Especially because he is acting like the biggest cringe lord of all yeah, time for this whole movie. Totally. Where she's like, stop looking at me like that. It makes me uncomfortable. And he's just like. He's just like, I'm going to keep fucking doing right. it. Right. Like 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 so rapey yeah. and so oh, weird yeah. like like and and then all the and then she just kind of is like okay yeah cool yeah and then he's like they have this conversation on the on the planet where he's talking about how he doesn't think democracy functions or the republic functions and oh he's yeah like, he's like tracing this idea of like essentially fascism mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like oh oh ha ha ha, ha. and he's like good one like, he's like He's like, no, I'm, I'm fucking serious. No, I mean it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, and then she just likes him out of nowhere. Yeah, I, I agree. That She's like, good one. There is some trouble here. I don't think that that, that uh, if there is a weak point in this trilogy, it's the establishment of this relationship between the yes, three movies. I would agree. Um, It's just confusing it feels like there are a ton of missing in between moments that that would be like and there are missing in between moments like you you talked about the Sifo-Dyas yeah plot line where it's fine like that works yeah but this it feels like more is needed here. yeah this one there's no real like reason for why <laughs> they would leave out they would keep in all the moments where he's a weird creepy perv and then 
leave out any like endearing elements to him you know? <laughs> yeah like, that does there's no reason for that. it's so bizarre yeah um but uh, uh yeah i guess i don't know a few other just like random points uh i feel like camino camino is a cool planet um yeah. it's very rep- uh, reminiscent of bespin from empire strikes back like the cloud city right i find just with like these platforms that are like mm-hmm. above just like endless abyss like i know there's water but yeah. it, it feels kind of the same yeah um and uh and and even the scene where where obi-wan is attached to jango fett um and they like are both falling and he falls off and he like uses the force to get i don't know it just feels it feels very empire strikes back mm-hmm. um which i think is kind of cool um yeah and like the moment where he where they're like actually obi-wan's like secretly pursuing boba fett and like hiding on a asteroid Mm -hmm. and everything is reminiscent of empire as well where the millennium falcon is like flying through an asteroid field and and then like hiding hiding on this on the star destroyer and stuff for sure i didn't even really think of that but yeah that's definitely true Mm-hmm. There, there are definitely moments that are that mirror Empire for mm-hmm. sure. It's not not as much as as some other as some as like a New Hope to Phantom Menace and stuff like that. But, uh-huh. Um, and then yeah, I had we talked about Palpatine manipulating Jar Jar and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. So this this is the this is the point that I was talking about before about like the egregious. <laughs> So do is Obi-Wan gets captured by Dooku because he follows Jango Fett to Geonosis mm. um where the separatists are. Mm-hmm. He gets captured after he after he spies on them and then just sends this message with like all of this information just like jumbled into one little message. Yeah. Just like it's just like boom boom boom. Viceroy Gunray, he's behind the assassination attempts of Senator Senator Amagdala. Because he fucking hates her for yeah. some stupid reason. Uh, <laughs> Count Dooku is collecting battle droid armies from like different places and Genosis and and the Trade Federation and and like it's all just like in this. It's so it's so funny. Um, and then so Obi Wan gets captured. Count Dooku comes in. He's like, <laughs> oh, there must be some mistake. He's like pretending that he's on Obi Wan's side, and he's like, uh. He tells him up front that the Senate is being run <laughs> by Darth Sidious. He tells him this. Yeah. And Obi-Wan's like, no way. Well, <laughs> You're fucking lying. Nice try, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you little trickster. And then like that doesn't that thought doesn't even like come up at all later when like <laughs> the Empire like when the Chancellor is like looking for uh what he's like moving for more and more power he doesn't think about like oh maybe dooku is telling the truth no that thought does not register at all and then yeah anakin tells mace windu and he's like what oh my god <laughs> this can't be serious? real i still don't really trust you but <laughs> and i've never really thought about this before but let's go fucking check it out it's like wow you guys are really dumb that's so, so funny yeah I mean that—that's pretty. That—that—that's the the biggest note I think I have from this movie. 
Uh, another another random merch. I think we missed on the merchandise episode. Um, is that we we used to have a you used to have a toy of the reek, which is one of those creatures from the uh, yeah from like the Colosseum fight scene with the, those like red rhino. Yeah, the one that Anakin can, like force controls his mind and and just rides him around and then he dies and it's kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, and you had a toy of that. I remember. Yeah, yeah, for Ran sure. Random random point. Yeah, I'm trying to but remember. But that's pretty much it. What other toys we had from that one? I don't really. Yeah, we remember. had a, we had a few. Um, I don't really remember. No, I mean I had a. No, I, I think you had the Force Unleashed game, which we talked about. Like I, I feel like it was. Yeah. We the, we were trending towards that type of thing. The arena game or whatever, mm-hmm. and um. Yeah, I don't totally remember. I mean, just a few things. Like I had like model ships, like like a book that you can make like origami model ships, of like um obi-wan's speeder and um the green speeder that they use on coruscant and that sort of stuff but nothing Mm -hmm. like really not anything that i really valued all that much i don't think no um specifically for this one i think they like revenge of the sith they had a ton of toys and phantom menace i had a ton of toys for and i think that's partially indicative of the fact that phantom menace um, they made way too many, manufactured way too much yeah. merchandise. So then they cut it way back for Attack of the Clones and then sort of readjusted for Revenge of the Sith. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it makes sense that we have the least amount of toys specifically for Attack of the Clones just because there weren't nearly as many. There weren't as much available, yeah. It wasn't as much. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this one definitely is like by a long shot the weakest of this trilogy, I think. Um, yeah. It is strangely uh, constructed, I think, as well. The other two are, like, pretty um, constructed in a pretty normal way, and this one is not, like, just in terms of, like, you know, third three-act structure and all that sort of thing. It's just, like, really weird, I think. Um, And, yeah, a lot of the scenes are, like, the biggest sort of, like... uh, visions of a madman sort of thing with like the whole industrial thing that happens with Padme and Anakin being an example of that. Um, or it's just like, Whoa, this is so weird. Like this entire sequence is just strange where Anakin gets his like arm welded to the conveyor belt Oh yeah, yeah. and Padme's in like the thing that's going to get lava melted on her and C-3PO gets his head grafted onto a battle droid and, <laughs> uh, all this sort of stuff. Uh, and C-3PO says the line where it's like, machines making machines, how vulgar or whatever. And it's like, okay, yeah, we get it. We get it, George. Um, <laughs> industrialization and all this sort of stuff. But I do like how this movie, um, just I like how Palpatine's plan continues. I really like the, even though it is strange yeah. and weird, I do really like the idea of like him manufacturing an army for the quote unquote good guys. Yes. So that he can use them in the future against this other battle droid army that he also funded. That he's also created, yeah. And he created yeah, and this... the separatist movement yeah. where he is like he is um not not just the Trade Federation, but he's like um zeroing in on different representatives from the Senate that are upset with the way things are going. And he's yeah. like, Let's fucking band together. We'll try and separate from democracy and he's he's well yeah he is the leader of yeah of 
the democracy. He's using his partner to be like, oh, this guy's the bad guy. Holy shit. Yes. And then he still looks like a white knight or whatever. The one mm-hmm. he, he continues to look better and better the more that Count Dooku sort of does his bidding essentially in the shadows. And he's just you know I like the the sort of slow incremental discord that he's creating and how interested. Yeah, I just really like how interested in the sort of micro elements of deception and sort of political maneuvering that George is like Mm -hmm. a lot of movies wouldn't be that interested in the little moments of how this trajectory into an empire happens focusing right and especially we'll get into this or I guess we could just say it that the clone (laughs) the clone wars Yoda's like the Clone Wars begun, and then the Revenge of the Sith movie comes out, and it's like, oh, it's uh, it's basically over. Like it happened in between <laughs> movies. Like George is so uninterested in just like sketching the war, and he's only interested in why the war is happening and like the little mm-hmm. moments that are leading up to this. So it's so funny that <laughs> that Revenge of the Sith starts basically at the end of the Clone Wars, and that he's just he he needed a war to happen to sketch what this trajectory was but he didn't want to show it he's like i don't give a shit i just want to show you the before and after of why right why it was created and that sort of thing but yeah i like that element of attack of the clones for sure but it definitely is the hardest to get through it's purposefully cringy in how anakin is acting and you know the performance it's hard to watch for sure but it's like you know speaking as a young boy who was extremely cringy and extremely angsty and confused and messed up while being in an institutional religion environment. Um, The cringe has a reason to exist. You know, it's nice to to have, (laughs) it's nice to have a teenaged cinematic character that is legitimately hard to watch because teenagers are that. Teenagers fucking suck, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're the worst. So even though it's hard to watch, I think it's it ha- it's really, you know, it has a place and everything. Yeah, I think I think I finally agree with you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I had it. I had all three of them at five stars before this. And I think I dropped the five stars for Attack of the Clones. Um, but I still think that is quite good. You know, I, I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's bad. Yeah. I think it, it has really interesting elements in spite of how hard it is to watch. Yeah, and and it's a it's a vector to carry on to the next movie. Exactly. It's it's necessary. Um, to, it needs to move yeah. those plot points and I do think yeah, like you said the separate the whole separatist movement that is controlled by the chancellor is unbelievable. Yeah. I I do I love that and it's something I don't think that well as a kid I did not fucking understand and then as an adult I let myself kind of hate that movie for the like I feel like I got distracted by the things that I hated about Mm. it and didn't really focus on what it was trying to say or like so I I'm glad that I tried to ignore those yeah because I appreciated it for for the things that it does well a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Um, I don't really have anything else to say about Attack of the Clones. I don't think. I think that. Let's move on to the one. Revenge of the Sith. 
because what a movie this is the sad one what a fucking movie so you like it i love this movie so yeah that's cool i love it I I i love it i loved it and then i didn't like it and now i love it again right yeah for sure yeah i know what you mean that's that was my trajectory as well i think with this movie i don't think i ever like really or maybe i did hate it at some point i don't remember but anyway I also really, 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 really love this movie. Um, I think, yeah, Phantom Menace ekes it out a little bit just in terms of how the thematics are, like, formalized and how, uh, I mean, just, you know, the pod race is amazing and, um, that, you know, what I was saying about how it rhymes with A New Hope and everything, I think it functions so beautifully. Um, and Revenge of the Sith is the one where it's all just there you don't really have to analyze form or or subtext or signification semiotic anything like that really other than the the you know the blue lightsaber blue lightsaber battle where those Mm -hmm. those dualities are flattened other than that it's like the text of this movie is what this movie is about fully about how Mm -hmm. these institutions crumble and this is the the incredibly tragic end to this whole story you know um and that oh man just starting at the very beginning that first shot is unbelievable where it it pans down and it's completely quiet and just hear you hear like the little drums the don't 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 and you see the the one ship and then the force theme comes in and obi-wan and anakin ship go around and they navigate this this space battle for like it's a single shot for like a minute and a half where they're just like going through and dipping down and then Mm -hmm. they go like down and the camera follows them and you see like a thousand million ships over top coruscant and it's like like this that's that's what i think is really cool like this is the moment of like the meta text meeting what the film is about in terms of technology and like like breaking down the dualities that happened in the original trilogy where it's like george this is that moment of of like fulfilling his dream because it looks mm-hmm. unbelievable mm-hmm. like i bet he could have never dreamed of creating that shot when he was making phantom menace you know so it's it, it's so cool to see basically creation happen in this trilogy yep. um of of new technologies and everything and how that yeah formalizes the trajectory in terms of the end of this movie is about you know, Anakin being a cyborg and all that sort of stuff and all of that. But anyway, I think that first sequence is like just on a spectacle level, unbelievable. So friggin' cool. And I love how like silly it is as well. Like, especially on like Grievous's ship, like the escape. I forgot about yeah. <laughs> just how like Obi-Wan and Anakin aren't like stilted anymore, like they were at the start of Attack of the Clones. They're like kind of like bantering and like like ribbing each other and being silly and like having yeah. little like like fights about he's like i didn't say anything what did i say he's like no yeah. no i don't know loose wire jokes no loose wire jokes and yeah you know, what, what do we do next spring the trap <laughs> all this sort of like just, they're just like being kind of goofy with each other which i really like yeah. how they've sort of like learned to work together through the clone wars in comparison to how they were acting with each other at attack of the clones i think is really fun um and then at the end of that one he he's being like oh you should be the poster boy he's like oh i saved your skin for the 
ninth time or whatever and all that sort of stuff they have this actually like real relationship now and it's funny that yeah. we just kind of like missed out on the development of it yeah i i i looked up the uh i tried to research the business on cato nemoidia oh yeah but it, there's nothing like it, it's never been explained even oh really i just i really assumed that there would be like a full book about that or like or even just like an episode in the yeah, clone wars true, or yeah. something but uh there yeah, there's apparently nothing oh so. well okay well there yeah. you go that's fascinating um but yeah, again, I like that is a moment that I think the lack of information is funny and how yeah. and how it establishes the relationship, like the sort of whiplash of how they were interacting in two versus three is like, oh, wow, this is fascinating. I don't need to see the relationship develop to be like to understand that they've had this history of like it, it makes those moments feel really cool, I think. Yeah. Of the how it's changed over time um yeah i don't know what what else let's see grievous i guess is a big thing wow grievous what a weird guy yeah, yeah what do you think of grievous because that's that's a weird part of general that movie, sure. kenobi here's a weird thing about grievous that i learned is that sifidius's blood is in general grievous what the fuck he had like a blood transfusion to like give him a like when he became like some midichlorians. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> like when they took his body and made him a cyborg, they transfused Sifidius's blood into him to make him more attuned to the force or something. I don't know. I just read that I, is so weird. I need to look it up again. It's really strange. The, yeah, that's that's a plot point. Um. Yeah, that's a that's a plot point that is uh very weird to me. Uh I I think you needed to get Obi-Wan somewhere else, somewhere other than the Jedi Temple. Um you needed a reason for Anakin to another reason for Anakin to distrust yeah. the Jedi Council because uh the Chancellor was like uh they'd be stupid if you uh if they didn't choose you for this mission this yeah. is this is your mission because exactly. in their minds general grievous is the only he's the leader of of the separatists at this point so if he dies then there's no leader anymore when really the chancellor is the leader and blah 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 yeah. but um anyways so they needed to get obi-wan somewhere because he needs to survive order 66 yeah exactly so i that grievous is kind of like a vector and kind of like a red herring um and that like he distracts you from and almost like a red herring in the universe like not just as a movie but he's a red herring to palpatine the jedi as well yeah like i think it's interesting you say this because i think that part of i don't i'm not sure if this was necessarily what they had in mind or anything but to discuss like the contextual relevance of these movies where like palpatine funds an organization um and then starts a war with the organization that he funded and that's like if that's not operation cyclone and like the united states funding al-qaeda in the 1980s i don't know what is you know like that Mm -hmm. that feels like so reflectionist in that sense and then yeah creating the war on terror and using this war to consolidate power and make uh, make profits essentially um 
and yeah using the anxiety of the public specifically to create to rally support for a war you know what i mean and a mm-hmm. war against a faction that this republic was the one who funded it you know like this is all it's almost like exactly what happened you know like he it really feels like he's trying to purposefully reflect the events of you know the 80s to 2005 or whatever Mm -hmm. like all of the space in between four five and six and then one two and three you know in a Mm -hmm. really fascinating way and then specifically with grievous since we're talking about it the whole thing is palpatine is using Grievous as a red herring in this world, like you say, to keep the war going so he keep, so he extends his power, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, that feels like, you know, like, exactly what George Bush did with, like, Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden. Like, this idea of, like, these red herrings of, like, we have to keep the war going until these guys are dead because, you know nationalist pride these are the guys who did it or whatever you know like like creating this character to be like this is why we need to keep the war going but the war is probably going because it's profitable and it yeah it creates a deeper sense of control for certain political leaders and all that sort of thing you know Mm -hmm. so i think that grievous functions in that way too like in a really fascinating not sure if it was super 100 percent intentional but it, yeah <laughs> it's like i don't know i think it's really cool at least to think about yeah he's a weird character but he serves a purpose yeah for sure and yeah i mean it just in terms of the choice like why does he sound like he's from transylvania <laughs> why is he like a lizard man in a robot yeah. costume yeah um uh yeah yeah and i actually the the uh talking about grievous my my last point about like anything related to him is um that scene where obi-wan is spying on him uh on utapau is that what it's called utapau utapau yeah he uh and he drops from this he he drops down he's like hello there (laughs) and then he uh uh there's like this uh grievous kind of six his like his little minions on him with like the electric uh things and then obi-wan just like obi-wan just like does this crazy thing and then at like this 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 crazy like hand gesture like this weird like kung fu thing and then he just drops the ceiling on them and they all get crushed it was very like it reminded me of raiders, raiders of the lost, lost arc, arc yeah, for sure. where where there's that crazy fucking samurai guy yeah. flipping his sword around and it's just this the, like it brings this tension and then indiana jones just like pulls out his yeah. gun and shoots him yeah it, it felt definitely. very like that i hadn't thought of that but that's definitely true yeah uh yeah, it's funny that Yoda was like, a prophecy that misread might have been. And it's like, yeah, no shit, Yoda. You fucked up, bro. Like, you, yeah. you don't know what the prophecy is. Like, you know that he's supposed to bring the balance of the force, but you don't understand that your order being destroyed is the reason why it's good. he's bringing balance to the force. Yeah, it's a bigger picture than what you're thinking. Yeah, so it's funny that he said that. And then, oh, what? what? There's a moment where Mace Windu, it's like, it feels like, I, la- I burst out laughing. I don't know if it was like intentionally supposed to be this funny or not, but like there's a moment of like 10 seconds of silence after a conversation. And then Mace. Oh, he's just, just like, I there. sense a plot to destroy the Jedi. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh yeah. You think 
<laughs> oh, really? <laughs> it's been happening for, you know, decades. For and it's about to end. You gonna die. <laughs> Good find, Sherlock. <laughs> and it's like this revolutionary moment. <laughs> It's it's just yeah, it's so good. Yeah, yeah. You know, like five years after Dooku essentially told him that the Sith run the Republic or whatever, he's just like, wait a second. Yeah, he just funny. has an has like an epiphany. It's great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But anyway, I mean, we've discussed all the like the highlights. I think of this movie with Pal- the scenes between Pal- Palpatine and Anakin and how he's manipulating him and how it's sort of you know like it makes it feels like you know like the deconstruction phase of a person disillusioned by institutional religion you know like him saying things that really make sense and are like he's doing them for fucked up reasons and in fucked up ways but like he is at least effectively pointing out why the current institutions are don't don't function at least that he's definitely right about that you know, so I like how there's this truth to what he's saying, but he's like, you know, it's that it, it feels very prescient to how fascists and authoritarians actually manipulate people and consolidate power is by using the truth and twisting it, especially with, you know, like talking about the the Jedi wanting to ensure a peaceful transition of power and then that that narrative being twisted to rally support behind the person that was trying to overthrow democracy happening exactly in the last election. Like that's exactly <laughs> what happened. You yeah. know, it's crazy. Like it I, is crazy. I'm surprised there weren't more like think pieces about this, how like revenge of the Sith takes on new contextual meaning based on what just happened with the election and everything. I don't know. Maybe there were, I just missed them, but maybe um those are the real highlights i think that the it, this is the movie that um his plans are sort of all of it was really grand scope in the first two and then this is just solely focused on the last piece i need is this boy yeah I, I need and that's that's the only thing i need yeah um because now i'm going to destroy the jedi yeah um get everyone on uh, gain all power and then also kill the separatists yeah that i've i have manipulated into thinking that they need to separate from democracy now i'm like like literally you were just a vector to get to this point i'm going to send anakin and just fucking annihilate all of you and that 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 is a point where like i think as a child i never understood that i was just like well anakin's just evil and he's fucking killing everybody and the emperor just wants to fucking kill everybody but i never really thought about it like i i didn't understand it yeah but uh that was crazy to me that that was just like that just added to the maniacal Mm -hmm. and devious nature of the emperor it was just like it's crazy he takes all of these chess pieces that he intricately structured throughout the galaxy and he sets them all on fire he literally just like pushes them off the board and he's He's just like i don't need fuck all of you it's just me me and this guy that's it it's so cool man this these movies are so cool and so singular especially in blockbuster cinema you know like god i love them so much um let's see what else oh the, we didn't say that r2d2 has this like moment of slapstick where he 
he lights the two battle droids on fire with the oil <laughs> and they're like slipping all over the place and he's on his like little jets and like going down and stuff and yeah like slipping and i really love that i think that's really that funny. Is funny the battle droids especially at the beginning of this movie are a lot more like stupid like and just saying like really dumb shit like they, they it's it's funny like and the scene in the elevator where obi-wan and anakin <laughs> escape into the elevator and then there's just they're just like put your hands up or whatever <laughs> and he just he's just kind of like mumbling to himself like we got you now yeah. fuckers <laughs> and then they just turn around and just just yeah. like slice them yeah. all with their lightsabers it's it's, it's so <laughs> i don't know there's something so satisfying about watching jedi just easily slice through battle droids i don't know it's partially the sound design probably and partially how cool yeah. it looks and everything but man that is just it's a lot of fun to watch um even though they like clearly pose no threat, they're just slicing through pawns. But it's just yeah, very satisfying. I don't know why. Um, let's see. Oh yeah, I mean, to, just to discuss a few like quotations specifically that I think really summarize the these movies really well. I talked about the one where Palpatine says like to understand the great mystery, you have to move past dogma or whatever and embrace both sides and all this sort of stuff. Like really saying things that are like i think true like in terms of you know spirituality spirituality like he is saying things that are true i mean he's not a good guy and he's like a bad crazy fascist or whatever but elements of his manipulation are factual i think you know and that's what makes it so scary I think. yeah he's just he's exposing one side yeah exactly he's exposing one side but then his the way that he goes about exposing them is not necessarily yeah the reasons why want. he's doing it are not good. Um, yeah. So he says that fascinating. I love that he just like straight up says the thesis of these movies essentially. Um, and then I like how Last Jedi sort of runs with it again um, in terms of definitions of the Force and light and good, flattening all that sort of stuff. It's a more explicit version of everything that happens in this trilogy. Um, and then what is what happens let's see oh yeah he also says like good is a point of view which i mean is obviously there the sith engine and the jedi are similar in almost every way including their quest for greater power and all that sort of stuff so these these ideas of like like flattening more moralities for the first time like ideas of good and evil that you were told as a kid um they're not like you know super complex and the way he points them out and talks about them aren't aren't like particularly you know it's obvious kind of that it was already obvious that he that's what he was explicating in this narrative without them having to explicitly say it but i remember being like as a boy especially when anakin is like from my point of view the jedi are evil i remember as a boy that was like one of the first times where i was like holy shit like <laughs> i was 10 years old and i'm like sort of understanding that good is a concept that is not necessarily real and it was created yeah, and subjective. told to me yeah like like it's obvious and like like the line reading especially makes it kind of uh, maybe a little bit cringy for some people but i remember yeah i remember as a boy sitting in theater and being like holy shit like you know that this movie means a lot to me because of how it you know i and i think that speaks to you know the the function of 
these movies being interesting like we're talking about how they're kids movies but they're also like deeply political and everything and like you know i see the seeds of that where there are moments in revenge of the sith where i was old enough to like actually be like ideologically moved by them you know and how how he's unveiling all of these things that you assume to be reality but they're actually you know man-made and passed down and all this sort of stuff and then padme says like the what if the democracy we are serving no longer exists and the republic has become the very evil we are fighting to destroy and everything like they're just like laying it out now which is cool and i love that anakin like immediately racks and he's like you sound like a separatist he doesn't like he's not willing to engage with the idea he's only willing to engage with like the constructions of the republic is good and all this sort of stuff without Mm -hmm. being like oh democracy can be corrupt corrupted you know he's not willing to engage with that and padme is like deeply engaging with it which is another thing to be like oh wow why did padme get in with this guy she's clearly a yeah. lot smarter than him <laughs> he's such a simpleton and she's yeah. so complex and interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> why well, I, I mean that's that's a bit brash but but yeah. i mean yeah i don't know I, 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 yeah i like how this movie really explicitly uh uh unveils everything that was happening throughout the plot like a little bit more casually i guess in attack of the clones and 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 in phantom menace in terms of what they're about and i like how the final scene well i also like this this is how liberty dies with thunderous applause i think is truly Mm -hmm. like it people say like i think it loses people don't see that as like one of the all-time great movie moments like at, at least in contemporary blockbuster filmmaking for some reason it's kind of like a meme i think sometimes mm-hmm. um but wow like it's you know watching watching the election unfold a, a few months ago all that sort of stuff is like wow that is really That's, what's happening we re- it's terrifying we avoided it's that terrifying how accurate yeah that is yeah so yeah i don't know i think that moment specifically should take on a new sort of scary meaning for people um now i think it's really amazing but yeah so i think that the intercutting again of the final scene the battle scenes in this movie really really are just formally masterful but they're also explicating what the whole trilogy is about in terms of the battle of obi-wan and anakin with the two blue lightsabers there's no more obvious sense of good and evil these are concepts for children that need to be destroyed to fully understand the great mystery it's all there you don't really have to dig too deep to understand it and it's incredible again that that scene is just really cool and then Mm -hmm. the scene that it's intercut is yoda and palpatine and they're fighting in the senate like the like they're they're he's unveiling the republic as a farce by taking these seats and turning them into weapons and 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 like like making it feel like almost liminal where they're all all the seats are empty now whereas we've always seen it full and there's just two guys battling in the middle of of everything so the two scenes are intercutting are 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 you know formally while also being amazing and just fucking cool to watch they're also formally explicating how the jedi order is uses images of good and evil and morality and light side and dark side in ways that are 
too simplistic through this idea of the conversation that Obi-Wan and Anakin are having and how that is signified in their lightsabers. And then, yeah, setting the other battle in the failure of the Republic. It's about the failure of, of, of these two things and setting two of like one of the coolest, another one of the coolest action sequences in, in American blockbuster filmmaking in a moment that not only looks really cool, but is also perfectly, perfectly explicating what these movies are, the trajectory of what they are all about is just so fucking cool. It's awesome. Yeah. And then it's just devastating, you know, like the, it, yeah, (laughs) like it really is devastating. I don't even really know what to say. I cried again watching the, at at the lava when yeah he's dead he's like on the ground he's a broken person he is this way because an institution oppressed him and repressed his feelings and then a man manipulated him into killing his wife and now he has one arm and he's burning alive and yeah. he was just a little boy and you think about this little boy that you saw in the first movie who was talking about how um about how you know, saying to his mom, like, um, you keep saying that the, the reason why the universe doesn't function is because people don't help each other. And yeah. he he wants to, yeah, he, he, he's like going to risk his life in a pod race so that these people can continue on in their journey. Yeah, these people can get parts for their ship and they can just fly away. Yeah, and then he's yeah. pointing out to, to Qui-Gon that is like, you must be here. To, to free to free the slaves because yeah. that's what good people do but he's not at all like that's no. not he's not trying to like abolish slavery he just wants to take this one boy back to his his institution right so he yeah. you have this tiny little boy who is overestimating the altruism of these quote unquote good guys and he has this moment with his mom and it's devastating and he's like i'm going to come and save you and he's like he is this perfect ball of like love and goodness, yeah. and you watch him get completely degraded and destroyed until he's on the side of an av- uh, of like a uh, of a volcano with no limbs, a dead wife burning alive by his mentor, by his his friend. Yeah, <laughs> truly, like unbelievably tragic stuff. Yeah, the most uh, one of the most tragic moments <sighs> that I can remember watching in anything. In my opinion, um, it's moving, man. It's really yeah. moving. And then how Palpatine continues—he he doesn't just continue his man, or end his manipulation of Anakin once he becomes Darth Vader. He's like, in he your drags anger, it out. He's like, in your anger, you killed her. You killed your wife, and then he loses his mind, and he ke- he keeps manipulating Anakin even after he has him as his sidekick. You know, yeah, like that is so sad. It's so sadistic and awful. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Just, I really like, I really do think that Jake Lloyd's performance is truly like, you know, it's naive. Whether you think it's a good performance or not, he has this like perfect, like childlike naivety to him. And that's intentional. That is honest and real. And he's overly sentimental. And, you know, that makes it even more tragic, I think. I think the melodrama, yep. the way the performance are acted and this perceived sense of like civility and honor and code and and sort of Shakespearean 
bureaucracy and all this sort of stuff effectively makes this fall and like the hubris that led to this fall more tragic um so yeah i think that's all i have to say what about you uh yeah i don't have a heck of a lot to say that i haven't said already yeah i mean i also like to to, i mean to finish it off i like that it ends on a sense of rebirth um yes you know i love i mean hope the yeah exactly a new hope a new hope if you will yeah yeah yeah. the way that (laughs) oh i i think again george lucas is a master of intercutting where yeah he intercuts the essential like either death of anakin and rebirth of like death of anakin and birth of darth vader intercutting with the birth of luke and leia you know like again that's that's the birth of organic matter and the birth of a cyborg being intercut together and the birth of the protagonists and antagonists of the next trilogy all at once you know like everything there in that sequence is unbelievable like george lucas is truly i think a formal master like i don't know why people don't give him credit for it because in all three of these movies there are moments of like formal brilliance um yeah and maybe there are elements of the cgi and the acting and other things that like make it harder to engage with but it's there like it's it really is there it's not hard to see yeah um if you focus on those moments so yeah i do really like that it ends on those the binary sunset um and then goes into the classic theme it does the it doesn't end on on the devastating note even though this is about this is a tragedy it has a coda of hope which i think is cool yeah i agree well, I mean, I think I talked a lot more than you. I'm sorry about that. That's okay. I I expected that with this episode. Yeah. Like if if there's any ep- episode where you're going to carry more of the conversation, I think this is this is going to be the one. So. Yeah, I really felt like I needed to get that out of me. You know, I have never really talked about it other than a few conversations with you, just like seeds of this. You know, so mm-hmm. it's nice to sort of exorcise it a little bit out of my system, um, and hopefully, you know, like maybe if someone listens they can you know yeah if they get to uh two hours and 45 minutes look at it in a new light you know like i really do think these movies are fucking masterpieces i'm not like joking when i say that or 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 trying to be like purposefully inflammatory or um hyperbolic no i believe it i believe it and i think uh you make a good case i i think you make a good enough case to change people's mind or or uh to at least inspire people to try to change their minds yeah i think that's that's what what the goal is you know like if people are giving it giving them a three stars at a rather than a half star or something you know that would be enough i don't expect everyone to give it the full five yeah but i feel you but yeah i mean that's it man these are fucking cool movies my my feelings of them have been reinforced i think i sometimes i worry and and it does happen it did happen with the last trilogy where i think um like it went negative like i'm always sort of scared to rewatch movies that that um i'm either like on the fence about you know or, or like i haven't formulated a really strong argument for why they're good 
Right. And that it went the other way with four, five, and six, I feel like a little bit for me. Okay. And then I was worried that if I watch one, two, and three again now, am I going to feel this strongly again if I watch them again? And it just reinforced it, which is nice. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, I think it's Phantom Man's Revenge and Clones is a little bit farther down. Um, Yeah. For sure. I don't know. I think my list was like the original list was Phantom, Revenge, Last Jedi, A New Hope, and then Clones. And that still might be the case. Yeah. I think uh, I think the prequels will advance a little bit in my rankings because mm-hmm. I had them all at the bottom. Yeah, and I I definitely anticipate watching the movies for this next episode and not feeling the same way. Yeah. About them. Yeah. Are you have you seen Force Awakens since you saw Rise of Skywalker? No. Okay. I have not. Well, this should be interesting then. Yeah, I haven't. I don't. I haven't watched them all back to back before. I don't think me neither. Me neither. So I, I am excited in that way. Um, but I fully anticipate on, on liking them less mm-hmm. other than maybe the last Jedi. Yeah, we'll see. for sure. Yeah. I keep, I'm worried. I watch that movie every year now, which I guess it hasn't been out for that long, but I worry every time I've gone to watch it again and it it's, I still love it. So so yeah it holds hopefully that will continue yeah perfect well man that's it we had a we had a chat about the prequels hell yeah we finally did it we did it it happened i think it was pretty good i had a lot of theory that i wanted to reference but then i was like this is stupid there's no point and me just (laughs) i was like "Ooh, i should talk about capitalist realism and interpassivity that's perfect for this or whatever i was like oh my god yeah i think that would that would um maybe distance you even further from the audience yeah it'd be a bit of a slog and yeah and i'm not i don't really necessarily feel like i have the ability to communicate that those sort of things anyway so maybe i'll figure it out later but i'm glad we did this i'm excited for the last of these apps and we might do it yeah we might do it like a end one but maybe we should just like Wrap we'll it see up. we could yeah depending on how long I, I i feel like the sequel is probably the episode won't be near as long as this one so we no. can probably just kind of tack on a, a final yeah uh debriefing of of the skywalker saga on the end of that one i think that makes sense yeah well hell yeah man it's been a good broman hell yeah and it's been another broman baby yeah what should you have a sign off for us today sir drink beer love life Mm. Uh, yeah i like that that's that's it drink beer love life yeah enjoy your life enjoy your life i would say forgive yourself you know yeah give yourself some credit you made it through a pandemic still not done but you made it through but we're fucking close man i i i feel it yeah i feel it too i got that that we saw we saw each other in person yeah uh recently for the first time since we started this podcast so that was pretty fucking weird yeah that was weird for sure it was it was definitely weird and um yeah it's gonna be weird for to be like you know have everyone fully vaccinated and be like i don't have to worry what yeah you know so yeah it's gonna be fun i'm really excited me too i i'm stoked all right and we could do an episode in person maybe at some point i'd love to hang out in that basement with you (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe not down here. We could probably do it somewhere a little nicer. But <laughs> my my uh, dungeon Hell unfinished yeah. basement. Here, Unreal, man. Well, um, uh, may the force be with you, brother. May the force be with you too.